from Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode number 42. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Casper, Squarespace, Smile with PDF Pen Pro 7, and MailRoute. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined, as always, by Mr. Jason Snell. So long, and thanks for all the fish, Mike. Do you have your towel with you today? I uh, I have my towel nearby, because you always need to have your towel with you. You do indeed. Uh, that's what that's what we learn. Things we learn from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Great book. Yeah, yeah, um, love it. The the I I grew up with the um, the BBC miniseries that they did in the early eighties, which is on one level horribly dated and yet sort of like adorably horribly dated. <laughs> um, and I I I loved that so much. Um, and and the books and uh, and then I had never heard the radio drama before a few years ago and the radio play is hilarious too so it's I love uh, and you gotta love Douglas Adams for retelling that story in as many formats as possible it's like how many different ways could that guy get get uh, paid again for telling that story but uh, that's one of the things I I always appreciated about Douglas Adams my favorite version is the Stephen Fry audiobook oh. Oh, that's oh. so. That's interesting. I haven't heard that. I haven't heard that. I've heard the. Oh, it's so good. I've only listened to the original audio, the you know the radio plays that they did on the BBC Radio. Oh, it's very good. All right, I'll have to, um, I'll add that to my collection of every because I you know I I have it in all these formats too. That's the other thing about it. I've seen it or collected it in all those different formats. Oh, you, trust me, you need this one. It's, all right, it's excellent. And then the subsequent books uh, are told by Martin Freeman. Huh? This book, but they read by Martin Freeman. Hmm. So, you know, the connection. Yeah. Because he became... Um, 40, 42. Anyway, episode 42. We have to talk about it. Indeed. So we do have some follow-up and follow-out today. Um, Upgradian Solomon wrote in. Because mm-hmm. uh, last week we were talking about, you know, the utility of a larger iPad. And we were talking about being able to have multiple apps on screen and that kind of thing. Right. But obviously there is more, there is even more utility in the idea of having um, an iPad Pro with an improved digitizer and a stylus made by Apple. We're going to wrap around to this again, which we've spoken about in the past. But I wanted to just bring it up because it seems like all the stars are aligning. Um, you know, if you look at the new Notes app and stuff like that and the tools that are in there. Um, I am very excited about the notion of a large iPad with a pen input. I think that that would be really, really cool. And Solomon mentioned, like, uh, with the Surface, and I think this is, you know, would be would be nice. There is a button on the Surface that opens OneNote. You just press the button and it automatically opens OneNote on the stylus. Hmm. And it'd be pretty cool if you could do that. You press a button, it opens the Notes app or something, and you could just start scribbling away. Well, you know my feelings about pens. I have a I have a, a a difficult relationship with pens. I'm not a I'm not a great. It's a my it's my own fault. I'm not a I'm terrible at handwriting. Penmanship penmanship is my worst uh, skill. In in school, I always got marked down for for bad penmanship. I my handwriting is, it, you know, it went at its best at its height. It looked terrible, and now. Um, with all the years that I've spent not writing with since I have digital devices, my handwriting now is is like caveman scrawl. I would in college we would copy edit the pages um, of the newspaper when they would when we were working on the issues and um, as editor in chief, especially, I would write on the pages like corrections and stuff and that was sort of that became legendary 
of um, incomprehensible notes on pages. We're like, what does this say? Something about a toupee? Um, and <laughs> no, it's nothing about a toupee. But uh, yeah, so I, I I have a difficult relationship with pens because it's not the input format for me. But uh, I, I agree. One of the real shames of the iPad all along has been that the digitizer is just not very good. It's I mean, it's perfectly fine for what it is for fingers. Um, but everybody who has tried... If you ask anyone who's built iPad styluses, iPad pens, um, they will tell you that, you know, it's it's uh, it's problematic. The digitizer is not as high resolution as it should be, and it's not pressure sensitive, which is why they end up building these pressure sensitive Bluetooth pens uh, to sort of read the pressure from the other side. And uh, it would be nice if Apple, you know, even if Apple doesn't come up with its own pen, even if it didn't do that. If it just built into the OS and into an iPad Pro kind of device, you know, a higher resolution digitizer and pressure sensitivity and have it be kind of like, you know, it's there um, and either there's an Apple pen that you can get or or there's a, uh, you know, it's just a third party opportunity. That would be good because I definitely hear, especially from all the artists out there and having worked with Serenity Caldwell for all those years at Macworld, you know, she made me well aware of this as an issue. And this is one of those cases where Microsoft with the Surface was just way ahead. Like, I think they changed digitizers with the Surface 3 and I'm, I, I had heard that it was not as good, but Surface and Surface 2 were, um, had really good digitizers and that was a way for them to, to provide a little more, um, give them differentiation and i heard from artists who said and famously there was the guy from penny arcade wrote a bunch of articles about it about how um surface ended up being a really great sketch tool because it had a you know it had better support for art stuff than the ipad did and you know i always read that and thought if i'm you know if i'm at apple working on the ipad i'd point to stuff like that and say this is a market we should probably try to cover at some point because we've got you know we're doing pretty well but um, you know, we could lose that. That's that should be our audience, right? That's a creative professional. We, you know, I know, I know, we are bigger than that now, but still, that's part of Apple's heritage. And why would we not be the go-to? Look at how many people try to use the iPad for sketches now with these pointing tools that are so limited compared to what we could build in. And you know, maybe the iPad Pro. We've said this before. I, a lot of our iPad dreams are being invested in the iPad Pro. I think you know, like. Uh, having a new product gives them reasons to add features to the iOS. Having the I, uh, the iPad sales be flat helps too, in the sense that it's like, what? How do we reinvigorate it? And so, you know, I worry that we've invested a little too much uh, hope. There's a little too much wish casting going into this mythical uh, big iPad. But uh, but yeah, it would be great to see. Just going back to what, something you mentioned a moment ago, I think if Apple put the work in to improve the digitizer and that kind of stuff and the pressure sensitivity, they're going to make their own stylus. You would, I think you, it would be kind of crazy. Think. Cause you would think. Showing it with the pen in the marketing shots yeah. is what sells the device. Because I think there has to be more than just big iPad like it has to do something and if this is the one that works well, with a stylus that would make could, sense to me it depends on if they if they think that there's a big enough market for that for that uh, piece of hardware they they could they could they could work with a partner too i mean they've done that before they could they could have demos on stage where they say you know we've been working with you know pen maker x here and app maker x here or even like we they've been we've been working with paper <laughs> and look at what we've done with them in the last couple of weeks in the lab using the new the new uh APIs and 
blah, blah, blah. They could do that, too. So I feel like there are levels there. I think you're right. They could do their own thing because they're going to want to demo it and they can sell that in the stores or they bundle it with the device, depending on how they want to handle it. Um, but they, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that they could just uh, let it be with partners and highlight it that way. It depends on how important a market that is and whether this is something that they think is integral to this product or whether it's sort of a, a thing that a small group of people will be really excited about. So it adds to the, the strength of the product, but not, you know, because if you want to, you don't want that product necessarily tied too closely to the, to the pen because... Uh, I don't know if you want that product to be thought of as the one that comes with a pen or the one that has a pen. So I, I think it's a line they've got to walk. Um, if, you, if you see what I mean there, like if you go too far down that path, it's like the iPad that comes with a pen. And I'm not sure that's the message they want to send either. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe maybe for I, people who love pens, it's more exciting as the iPad that comes ooh, with a pen. Yeah. I th- I think th- <laughs> I think that there are some avenues that, you're missing for why it would be a good thing to be it's the one that comes with the pen like all of uh you know enterprise and all of education well and if they do you know if this is where they roll out some undiscovered features of iOS 9 that uh there's an iOS 9 update that in- enables you know more digital ink kind of things in apps. And, I, you know, maybe there's a bigger story there. I just, I, I, I feel like there's a spectrum of possibilities here that goes from it being like a full-on embrace of, of pen input to a kind of all the way over to the other end, which is it's there and the people who care about it will be excited about it, but the Apple's not going to make a big deal about it and sort of like let that be a third-party opportunity. And I think in the, in, you know, in between, there are there are lots of possibilities too. So, We'll have to see. I, I'm not discounting it as as important. I think it's important. I think it's a question of how hard Apple hits it, and whether they hit that in, on stage, or whether that's something that just sort of like comes in a press release about oh, you know, or they mention on stage that oh, well, we've worked with institutions and education and healthcare, and they love it. Uh, it just depends on how hard they want to hit it. Because do they do they think the biggest audience for this is people who are going to be like, yeah, pens? Or is the biggest audience going to be people who are like, woo, big screen, it's cool. And that, that the fear... Because I do think there's a fear there that like if you overemphasize the pen, um, you're going to turn some people off who are like, well, but I don't want a pen. I don't want to use a pen. So you gotta you got to modulate that. This is... By the way, this is fun to talk about it. This is why... Um, it bugs me when people criticize Apple about things that are like implying that Apple hasn't given it thought. <laughs> and this happens a lot on the internet, right? It's like, I can't, I don't, can't believe they didn't think of this. It's like, you know what? They thought of that because we, what we're going through now is like a product, mar- it's a product marketing debate. This is like the kind of things yeah. that happen in Phil Schiller's yeah. group all the time. Right. And that's a tough job because like, like this, there's no one, there's no right answer here. This is complicated. This is. Yeah. Because me and you are both coming at this from different angles and we are both Apple's customers. The advantage we would have is at Apple, we would have lots of research. Although, you know, who says the research isn't conflicting too. And the research isn't, they're probably don't, they probably don't have research that says we asked, I, pad pro buyers what they wanted you know they 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 could maybe do some of that but they have to couch it in certain ways that it doesn't give away what they're doing Um, but they do have some you know internal market research that's pretty powerful that they can use for this sort of thing but it's uh you know it's it's a it's a question how do you market let's assume the ipad pro exists now that that product and and has the features that are already locked in right that was 
decided on based on understanding of the market and what they want to target. And that's complicated. And then explaining how you what that product is to the to the public is a challenge because, you know, it, even if it's literally the same product, how you market it can completely change how people view it. And you risk, you know, I could make the argument that you risk going kind of off the edge if you make it too much about the pen because a lot of people are going to get turned off. And I guess those are people like me. We're like, well, you know, pen, whatever, but it's not for me. I, so I guess I won't buy that one. Uh, but you also risk underselling it and losing your most important point. If you don't talk about it, it's like fantasy Apple marketing that we're doing here. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we're here for. <laughs> uh, but there's no way to win. Fortunately, there's also no way to lose. <laughs> so moving on with our follow-up this week. Um, so we do have a mic at the movies later on today. We're going right. to be talking about Say Anything, another classic 80s movie uh, from Jason's selection. But I wanted to mention, actually, if we're doing a bit of follow-out, that I did another mic at the movies this week. Um, I how is that possible? How is it possible that you could do another mic at the movies? Because we only did one show this week, and this is it. So how how could that be, Mike? How could there be another episode of Upgrade with a mic at the movies? Uh, Casey Liss asked me to do one. So but Casey Liss doesn't host Upgrade on the Great Relay <laughs> FM network. So how would that work? I don't. Even, I don't. Is Casey here right now? Is Casey out there right now? I don't understand, Mike. I'm sorry, Jason. Do you have other podcasts? Are you are you on other podcasts with other hosts who aren't me? I am. I'm afraid. I'm sorry to say. I I'm sorry. This is such a uh, harsh realization for you today. And maybe I should have spaced all this news out a little bit more. Mm. But I, I did do me and JC. Me and Jason. Oh I'll, no, JC. I'll call him JC now. Uh, we oh. did. Uh, who sent you? Who sent you shells and cheese, Mike? And who sent you a lovely? container of manchego who was that was dispatched to you by a, 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 a an individual workman just to, you know who loves you is what i'm saying it is peculiar like the parallels between you and casey in that you both send me cheese no i sent you cheese casey sent you velveta he said we processed cheese like product goo in a package let's be um, clear mine came from a sheep his came from i don't know an extruder in a factory somewhere we spoke about sneakers. Yeah, and this is Analog 45, is that right? That is correct. All um, right. Sneakers, great movie. I enjoyed it a lot. Did you like it? Spoilers? Okay. Just listen. Well, people can listen. Yeah. Okay, analog, if they'd like to, well, if they'd like to hear all that. All I'll say is you may feel better about all of this when you listen to how I felt about that movie. Okay. That's all I'll say. All right. If you didn't like it, that's going to make Dan Morin sad. That's one of his favorites, too. Uh, well, Dan will have to listen to it. <laughs> Dan, okay. All right, good. That's good follow-up. Good to know. Other podcasts are available that have Mike at the Movies, which was invented here. It's okay. I like that I like that. that's spreading. Like the hashtag Ask Upgrade. I like that it's sort of such a good idea originated here on Upgrade that Upgrade is exerting its influence on other podcasts. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take it like that. That's that's how that I was know. actually what Casey said at the start of the show. There are a bunch of things that come from this show, like mm-hmm. follow out is mm-hmm. one, verticals are another. Yep. We have the hashtag feedback system. Yep. It's it you know, this this show is a trendsetter. We're innovators, Mike. We are we innovators. Are. We really are. So this is why people listen, I think. Innovation. Hashtag innovation. Uh, oh, I had some follow-out, too. 
Oh, yeah? Speaking of Casey Liss, um, I wanted to f- do some follow-out about uh, Accidental Tech Podcast, uh, one which is a small a small boutique podcast about technology featuring three people that you've never really heard of. And all they do is talk about programming all the time, so it's not, you know, not widely listened to because they spend all their time talking about boring stuff. Objective-C and uh, Swift and, and, you know, curly brackets and square brackets and things. Anyway... But Jason, I thought we were talking about Swift today. We, we are talking about Swift today. Um, uh, more popular Swift. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> ATP, you may not have heard of it, but um, they did an episode, where in episode 122, where they were talking about John Syracuse's wallet. And he told this story because he, he, he has a, a huge wallet, apparently, and keeps it in his backpack. And then they told the story about how he left the backpack at my house, which he did. And that made me laugh that I was you know listening to them talk about... Um, leaving john leaving his backpack at my house which is totally true we said goodbye and everybody piled into that little that uh well not little car but there were too many people f- to fit in that car um that, because, that was effectively a little car yeah well it turned into a little <laughs> car we were gonna get an uber and then everybody said nah, we can fit and it was well you can you theoretically you can fit in there um and then you know we're cleaning up and stuff and then knock knock and it's john syracuse has appeared at my door again to get his backpack which is just laying right there on the floor he knew exactly where it was so did he lose it or did he just leave without it i'll leave that as an exercise for the listener um but i just wanted to ask do you have a wallet and how big is it and 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 what's in it i'm curious i wanted to do some wallet uh wallet comparison i know vital stuff but i'm curious Wallets are a source of eternal frustration for me. Um, I have one, and I hate it. And I've never liked any wallet that I've ever owned. Um, I keep a few cards in there, uh, like a few credit cards and stuff. Um, well, we uh, debit cards, one credit card. Mm-hmm. I have some ID. I have a pass for my co-working space. I keep my glasses cleaner, like a little microfiber oh, cloth in there. that's a good idea. Yeah. I have some Canadian dollars, uh, and I have some euros. So I have like one so, bill of each. So if like you 20, find yourself each. if you find yourself in Canada, you've got that money. is exactly the reason. When I, I it, this doesn't happen to me so much anymore. This sounds like a really weird start to a story. Uh, but when I used to fly into the U.S. for cheaper than I do now, because these days I tend to to get better flights, I would find myself flying through Canada a lot, um, and I would end up in a Canadian airport where I would need to buy food and it would always be a palaver trying to get money to pay at the airport. So mm. it basically just came to the point of I one time went to like a, an ATM that was in the airport, took out some cash and have kept some in my wallet in case it happens again. I... um. I I don't even know where to begin. First off, I want to give you extra credit for um, people. You know, we joke about you being hovering over the Atlantic and losing a lot of your Britishisms because you talk to so many Americans on a regular basis. But you just you just use palaver, um, and that is as British as it comes. So (laughs) good for you. I was going to say good on you, mate, but that would be if you were Australian, (laughs) which you're not. Um, So that that uh, thumbs up to that. Um, I. Again, I'll just say for efficiency's sake, shouldn't you or do you literally keep Canadian money in your wallet because otherwise you may pass through Canada and have forgotten to put it back in there? And so all the rest of the time for like 99 percent of the time you're carrying around Canadian money just because if the moment you take it out of the wallet is the moment that you're going to be passing through the Toronto airport and need to buy some 
you know, I don't know, maple syrup on poutine. It's basically like Schrodinger's dollars. Okay. You know, but now it's also, I just keep, it's one bill folded up. Um, usually okay. I have some dollars in there as well, but I have quite a few dollars left over from mm. uh, the San Francisco trip. So they have all been taken out now and they're just waiting on my dresser until I go back in either September or October. Right. But you've got your emergency Canadian money in there regardless. Emergency money. There's a, how much is it? Is like five or ten or... I think it's a 10, and yeah. I have 20 euros in there as well for the That's same, good. same same reason. Same reason, because you may pass through some place that uses euros if you go through Ireland or you go through uh, uh, anywhere, you know, Germany, in something Europe. like that, yep. to, to switch to switch planes. Um, okay, that's that's I, I just that's a fascinating detail, that you have Canadian money in there. But I don't like my wallet. It's just not very nice. It's is it too a, big. Is, and... is it a bifold or a trifold? It's a bifold. Okay, good. Yeah, only John Syracuse seems to have the trifold. Um, my wallet story is that I have I uh, I have a black leather wallet that uh, I think my wife bought for me, um, replacing a wallet that she bought for another black leather wallet that she bought for me like 15 years ago that w- had finally fallen apart. I used to wear my have my wallet in my back pocket, but um, in my 20s I started to have uh, hip pain, and it turns out that I actually have really slight. Uh, hip dysplasia that had never been diagnosed and does run in my family. So, um, and so I, I, but the hip pain was bad enough that I started putting it in my front pocket because the back pocket was, it was actually kind of painful to have anything in my back pockets. Um, I did that for a little while. And then I decided that then like John Syracuse, I was like, I'm just going to put this in my backpack um, most of the time. And I don't, I don't need the wallet most of the time. So the funny thing is the, the wallet my wife bought for me comes with the little like, mini wallet little shuttlecraft i don't even know i think it's you're supposed to put like things in it that you you i don't even know the purpose of the little thing but it's like a little bifold thing inside the big wallet that you can put your like your id in i don't even know what's supposed to go in there do you know what i'm talking about the little window area yeah well this one has a it's like a removable thing it does have a little window thing but it's like yeah i have one of those it's like a little little uh probe spaceship that comes out of the mothership and lands on the planet right you send the small wallet out yeah exactly right. so the big one stay big wall stays in orbit small one, this is turning into like i'm turning into merlin man right before our eyes here this is okay anyway anyway um the that's other follow-out that we're not going to do so uh that one the shuttlecraft wallet is now my wallet so i i decided as as mm. nice as that other wallet was i took uh, like four things and put it in a little tiny shuttlecraft wallet. So I've got like uh, a, a credit card. I think I've got my credit card and my ATM card, my driver's license, and like my medical insurance card. So that again, if they find me bleeding by the side of the road, they you know will pay for my hospital or whatever. Um, and that's basically it. Sometimes I'll stick a bill in there, although I generally don't even carry cash. Um, and this is what fascinated me about that they're asking John about the wallet because I'm on the other extreme. John's got like his library card in there and some like I don't know for all oh, I know, he had like the the uh, my favorite was the business card of, of his barber, the hairdresser. <laughs> right, you can put that in the. You could actually put that in the. And it's his barber who retired. That was the best part. Is that not only was it pointless before, but now it's extra pointless. Um, so I just went, I just kind of divested myself of all that stuff. And, and every now I've got a little stack of cards. I actually had that wallet too. The big wallet is, is on my, um, on my armoire, uh, in a basket full of like miscellaneous stuff. So if I need to fish out my, you know, loyalty card, although every loyalty program just lets you put in your phone number. (laughs) So you don't actually need the card number. 
Um, but I can dig that stuff out if I need to have it. But I just I was fascinated that this what a what a time to be alive with a wide range of human experiences. Everything from John Syracuse's giant wallet over here to people who don't have giant wallets on the other end, I guess. Anyway, I'm I was fascinated by that. And now I know that you have Canadian money in your wallet. That's uh that's great. If Guy English ever needs a loan, if Renee Ritchie ever needs a loan, they can come to you. They can call me up. It's got the queen on it, right? It's got to be practically. Do they have, is it, does it have the queen on it? Or does it have some do. they, mysterious Canadian celebrity that nobody's ever heard of? No, they, and they have more modern pictures of the queen. Oh, so it's older queen, not like coronation era queen. We're like, no, 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 she's still 25. We're going for old queen. Old queen or no queen. I like old queen. You know. Like Bohemian Rhapsody. Back when Freddie Mercury was still alive, yeah. Hey. <laughs> Let's take a sponsor break now. <laughs> Just one last thing. Okay. When we were in San Francisco, yep. Ren took a picture of the two of us and said that it was like looking at father and son. And I'm getting oh. really concerned about this. Like our humor is now starting to divert. That's because your beard, your beard uh, makes you look that much older. That's why she said that. I'm your prematurely gray-haired son, and you're the. Anyway. <laughs> Uh yeah, the you know Mike, I am I have really enjoyed this part of the conversation, which has been extremely bizarre. Um, I I can't wait for the email from somebody who says stop having fun on your podcast. I don't listen to it f- to hear you guys have fun. Get to the serious business, but we'll get to the serious business. Don't send us that angry letter, because we'll get to the serious business in a moment after this word from our friends at Smile. Right, Mike. Yes, indeed. This episode is brought to you by PDF Pen Pro 7 from Smile, the advanced version of PDF Pen, which is the ultimate all-purpose PDF editor from our friends at Smile. PDF Pen Pro 7 does everything that the regular version of PDF Pen does, such as adding signatures to PDFs, editing text, images, performing OCR on scanned documents, and allowing you to export into a Microsoft Word format. But PDF Pen Pro can also create an interactive PDF form, build a table of contents, set document positions, and even convert websites to multiple-page PDFs. The new PDF Pen Pro 7 adds easy editing of OCR text from scanned documents as well, um, as well as allowing you to export them into Microsoft formats like Excel, PowerPoint, and also PDF archive formats also. As a PDF Pen Pro 7 user, you can get to your documents everywhere, as they can all sync with PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone via iCloud Drive. If you ever need to touch up or correct a document, this has never been easier thanks to PDF Pen Pro 7's fantastic and powerful OCR support. Here's something that's really interesting. Say you get sent a PDF document, which is a spreadsheet or a presentation, and like Bob and accounts to send that over to you, uh, and they don't really understand how computers work. They just sent you a PDF. Instead of you having to get up, walk over, maybe go down a flight of stairs and bug them to send you an editable format, if you just fire up PDF Pen Pro 7, you can convert that document into an editable presentation or an editable spreadsheet. That is true power. And something that's new to PDF Pen Pro 7 is the ability to set tooltips to form fields, which allows users to create voiceover accessible forms. That is really powerful stuff. PDF Pro 7 is a really amazing and powerful piece of software that I think you should be checking out for yourself. You can try it out for free today by downloading the free demo over at smilesoftware.com upgrade. Please note that PDF Pen Pro 7 requires Yosemite. Thank you so much to Smile and PDF Pen Pro 7 supporting this show and all of Relay FM. Yay. So, 
um, this well yesterday, right? As we record Wait, this, so we had there, there's a show, there's an episode that's like upgrade forty one point nine that will never exist. Yeah, you and I were like rubbing our hands together. We're like, oh yeah, we're in our document. We're like, we're gonna really give it to Apple. We're gonna we're gonna back Taylor Swift. We're gonna say why Apple, you know, doing a doing a free trial by. Um, not paying anybody for it was uh, was a questionable practice, and uh, then the story just totally turned around at the end of the day. Well, probably while you were asleep, although your sleep has been so bad lately, maybe you were awake then. No, I was asleep. You were asleep then. You know, the whole yeah. story turned around. So you went to bed thinking that this show was going to be about one thing, and then uh, it's turn it's totally changed overnight while you were sleeping because Eddie Q appeared on Twitter. Um. And reversed things. Should we? I guess we should back up. And but it's just it's just such a dramatic change. Yeah, we we should we should kind of give a little bit of uh, background to understand what's happening for anybody yeah. that that isn't aware. So, um, when Apple unveiled their music service at WWDC, they said that they were going to be doing three months free. Um, this was uh, you. Everybody was going to get it. The first three months of Apple Music were going to be free. Um, in the same event, they were talking about being fair to artists and offering paid services and not free services because, you know, they th- feel like people need to get paid and they were talking a lot about independence and stuff like that. that. Since then, there has been some grumbling about the free trial period, but it's been mainly um, ignored. And, and after doing, a like, just seeing people on Twitter, you know, saying that there have been some other, some small indie labels and stuff like that that have been complaining about it. But then, out of the blue, on Sunday morning, so Sunday the 21st, uh, Taylor Swift writes on her Tumblr blog mm-hmm. a very well-written um, open letter to Apple pointing out why she believes that the free period for Apple Music is unacceptable because it is a three-month trial where no artists will be paid during that period of time. That is what Apple decided to do. Um, you know, and then so basically you can imagine the internet caught fire. Uh, and as the day went along, there was a lot more reports coming out and people were reminding others uh, about the fact that Apple were paying an extra 1.5% <laughs> yeah. or something because of this free well, period, which is well, kind of yeah. Well, okay, so so I'll, I'll stop you there just to say because I, I heard this from people too. Apple, what Apple said is that the agreements they were reaching with labels were for a bigger percentage than what other streaming services do. Like, yeah, from seventy to seventy-one point something percent. Somebody did the math and figured out that you know that, that it would take a long time to get that money to to have that offset the the freebie. But the way Apple described it was so weaselly because it was sort of like, well, we negotiated a higher rate in part to be in part because we were asking for a longer, uh, a longer period. I, I don't know how linked those really were, um, or if that was just one of the things thrown in. So I feel like they 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 didn't say, well, this is why. It was more like, well, that's one of the reasons why. And I kind of, you know. I, I think that's Weasley. I think that's not. Yeah. I I don't think there's a direct, clear linkage. So we shouldn't assume that that's the reason that they're paying a higher percentage. It may also be sure. for other things that they negotiated. It may be because uh, labels are and and record companies are or, well, labels are record companies. Labels are wary of uh, dealing with Apple, and so Apple needed to give them more in order to make to grease the skids. There are lots of reasons why they negotiated that that rate. So. Anyway, 
I just wanted to I just wanted to throw that in there that yeah. it's not it's not necessarily um, a trade off of like well give us three months free and we'll give you and even the Apple statement says you know it's one of the reasons not like the reason. So then basically, as you can imagine, the day went on with people taking sides. Um, yes. Both in uh, for and against Apple's decision on this. Uh, I don't understand how anybody could take a four position, but we'll, I guess we'll get to that in a minute. Um, and then very late in the evening, what time was it in San Francisco? Uh, eight thirty, and it was you know I think it was around eight or eight thirty, so eleven eleven thirty Eastern time. Eddie Q tweets a selection of tweets, um, basically saying we love indie artists and they will be paid. Don't worry, during that three month period, Apple will pay. Um, and, you know, basically, we hear you, Taylor Swift, and indie uh-huh. artists love Apple, mimicking Taylor's uh, big thing. And then, then Eddie Q made a selection of phone calls to a bunch of journalists. Yeah, talked to Billboard, um, talked to Recode, I think. Yep, Recode was one of them. Uh, and basically just kind of saying a few other little tidbits about all of this and basically just making sure that everybody had heard Apple on this and saying that basically it's kind of a bit unclear how much people are being paid. I think right. you can kind of read between the lines to say that Apple will pay the industry average for streaming during this period of time. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, it, it's uh, it's a little bit of damage control. I think it's interesting um, indie labels and artists were balking at this all along. I mean, there's so much here and it's so complicated that it's it's hard to... Uh, if you're not inside in the industry, it's hard to know it, all the details. It's so many different moving parts. Yeah, there's a lot of it that we can't understand being on the outside. Exactly, exactly. My my impression is that Apple made the announcement of Apple Music without even having deals with most of the labels, which is quite a game of chicken because they're basically saying, well, we're launching it, so are you in or are you out? And trying to shift it back and like put pressure on the labels. But if the labels don't sign, then Apple launches with some labels missing. And that's not good for... I think that's worse for Apple than it is for the labels not being there. Um, yep, because people don't say, oh, X label. They'd just be like, uh, app wise, this music not here. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, there's so there's that whole aspect of it. Um, the thing that got me, um, I mean, the, the, the Taylor Swift did this. I mean, she said, look, I, I'm fine, but I think this is a problem for, for new musicians and independent artists um, because this is a bad deal. And, and she's been really outspoken about this in withholding her album from Spotify. We've talked about it in the past, this idea that um, that uh, we may end up with a situation where music streaming services are more like Netflix than they are now in the sense that Netflix doesn't have new releases they they age a little bit and then they show up on Netflix and that's because the new releases uh, they want you to pay to buy them or rent them and that you know Taylor Swift has done that to great success with her album uh, 1989 that that um, you know it sold incredibly well because you have to buy it <laughs> I mean you can pirate it but you you can't stream it you have to buy it and I think maybe that that's where this is going to go, where big name releases from big artists may not be streamable because, and that's a little more Netflixy. But um, but Taylor Swift knows that she's not um, she's not the 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 best example here, and that she wants artists to be compensated. And she's I think she's really smart, and I think she's uh, principled, and she has uh, a a voice that can carry obviously it happened uh carry further than um an independent artist or label or even kind of a grousing record label um 
can can do. She can do she can do some different things. And she used she is her incredibly powerful, just fundamentally. Yeah, she used her pulpit, she used her power to broadcast this message about Apple being unfair. And it, what's funny is I heard about this what a week or two ago. And when they announced the Apple Music thing, I assumed that Apple was essentially paying for those three months using their cash because they wanted to establish themselves and they got to catch up with their competitors in streaming. Yeah. When I, I heard when I heard that Apple was just going to the labels and saying you're going to eat the three months, you know, I I thought that that was ridiculous, <laughs> right? But Taylor Swift is the one who made everybody know that. Did you know that this is what's happening? That the most profitable company in the world is asking the the record labels and artists to forego their money for three months so that this company can launch its service and catch up with its rivals. You know, the argument is that it's better for everybody if Apple comes in and succeeds with this because Apple's not going to have a free tier like Spotify. That And I, I can see that argument, but I think it's a better argument to say you know, you're a giant company that has a lot of cash and you're behind in an area that you want to catch up, pay the money, like pay the money, get behind. If you want to launch this, you're not doing this because you want to save the music industry and you're not doing this because you want to give money to artists. You're doing this because it's an important strategic business decision for Apple. So you know what? Pay the money. Now, I I admit if they can get, if they can be Eddie Q didn't get where he is by being um, a pushover, right? He he has a reputation for being a tough uh, negotiator on this stuff, and uh, so you could make the business argument that if they can get away with this <laughs> and play hardball and make everybody pay to the the whole music industry pays for Apple to launch its own service, then you could do that. But I would say it looks bad, and I look at that and think. You know why are you even why are you even bothering going down this path? This is your business. Um, you're the one who want, needs to catch up. You are you are not an underdog in general. You've got the resources to do it. Just make it happen. Spend the money. Make your service come out of the gate looking good, uh, rather than uh, spending your two weeks before launch trying to get every last dime out of these record company uh, execs that you're dealing with. It's like, you know it's so it's complicated and i see both sides of it but in the end what feels right to me is that apple is trying to build a business in a new area where they're behind and uh they're trying to make a name for themselves by giving away this free three months trial which is very smart i think on their part but it seems wrong for them to make it seem like Apple's largesse is the thing that's getting people to try this, when in fact Apple's not actually giving it giving anything away. They've just asked all the providers to give it away for them in order for them to build the business. That just seems wrong to me. So, you know, as as you, uh, I'm a little bit frustrated that we didn't get to have this conversation before Apple reversed the, I, the I, decision I, on it. It's but, it's. I, I think what's interesting about us having it afterward is that. Um, instead, the conversation is like, okay, well, obviously, Apple either felt like they were losing face or people inside Apple who've been saying all along that this was the wrong approach have gotten got that moment where they're like, see, see. Um, but regardless, it is interesting that Eddie, the way Eddie Q framed it was very much like, you're right, we, you know, we respect artists, um, we'll pay, we'll pay for it. And uh, 
that I think that's really interesting. I, I don't think anybody's out there standing up and cheering like, yay, record companies get more money. And it is true that record companies famously um, kind of screw over their artists and the artists don't get a lot of money out of it. So it's not like it's necessarily like a victory for the good guys or something like that. But it does feel it does feel right. And I think that's what what Apple was reacting to is being seen as somebody, you know, Apple is a huge company. They're not seen as an underdog who's trying to save music and they didn't want to be seen as trying to uh basically take money out of the hands of artists even though yes they're also taking money out of the hands of big corporations that are record publishers like because if anything apple in tooth in regards to digital music in regards to music in 2015 apple is closer to walmart was in 2001 than apple is to themselves does that make sense? Like they are yeah. close to the old dog than yeah. they are to actually what they were then. Apple has great strength in so many different areas, but streaming music isn't one, so they need to establish themselves. And and you know, the I mean Taylor Swift is interesting because she's got uh her take on streaming in general is like I said before, it's interesting because she's she's looking at a bigger picture here about streaming being problematic. People don't make a lot artists don't make a lot of money from streaming either. And that's part of the story here too. So I think there is some hope that Apple, you know, is Apple going to change that? Maybe, maybe not. The the more, the additional percentage that they're paying is slight. <laughs> it's not like Apple is going to finally make all the musical artists um, fine with streaming and the streaming economics. I think there's a difference though in, in the way that it's happening because Apple is all revenue and it's not advertised. I, th- I think there is more yes. money to be made. Yes, I, I, I agree. Um, the per- person, you know, people who did the calculations would say that the percentage that they're, they're, they're giving um, versus the three-month trial, that the map, that map doesn't really add up for a long time. It's, it's, that's not going to offset the three-month free trial. But the idea that that they're going to Apple's going to push people to think of streaming as something that is paid for, and that there isn't a a free tier, um, and I'm sure the music industry would really love it if the concept of something beyond something like Pandora, if something like Spotify, where you can pick what you listen to, offers something for free, I think the music industry would love for that to go away, and this be perceived as a premium product. You get access to everything by paying. And then there would be more money. I think they feel like there'd be more money in the pot. I mean, I, I still have, I still want to say my piece on this, though, as to why I thought that they were wrong, even though now, you know, it's been reversed. So they're back in everybody's good books again, I suppose. But fundamentally, my main problem with this is, and, and I don't know why anybody can't see this, is work for free for three months. Just do that. Because that's what Apple were asking. Yeah. Well, I and, asked. I, I got a rise out of people on Twitter, and I was being fully tongue in cheek. But I said, you know, when HBO gives away the season premiere of all their shows twice a year uh, on a free preview weekend in order to get people to get excited, they pay. <laughs> You know they're still paying for those shows. <laughs> they don't ask everybody on those shows to work the first show for free. And then pay. And yes, that's not a perfect concept, but think about that for a minute. Just because the distributor wants to market their product doesn't mean the people who made the work that's being distributed forego a salary. And that's essentially what Apple was doing here. 
is is that it's you know the the other example I would give, and I realize that I have a a, a maybe unique perspective in this is I get my hackles up a little bit about Apple posing as the the benefactor when in fact what they're doing is they're just taking the product of somebody else and acting like they're the ones who are giving it to you. Um, Because that's actually what happened with Macworld for years is that when you bought a Mac, you got a deal for like six free issues of Macworld. And the way it was phrased was always a gift from Apple to you. (laughs) Apple didn't pay for those issues. (laughs) That, That was entirely eaten by Macworld. But Apple wanted it to seem like it was Apple's largesse. Um, but behind the scenes, they just made us give it to them. It was like, you want to be in the box, you give you give free issues. And that was a good deal. We, we agreed to it. Um, the thing that always bugged me was Apple wanted to seem like the good guy who was, and, and leave the impression that it was Apple's... Apple taking, paid for all of them. Apple took money out of its own pocket in order to make this ability, or make this available to you. And I got that exact same vibe from this, where it felt <laughs> like, you know, Apple's being generous with their trial period, but the generosity is not actually Apple's. It's somebody else behind the scenes that Apple's not going to even let you know about. That's the actual person who's doing this and giving it away. And Apple's just basking in the benefits of it. And that, that set me off a little bit, too. I also have no time for the arguments of Taylor Swift is greedy. Like, I have no time for that argument. Because she doesn't need this money. As she has proven, streaming is not important to her business succeeding, right? She made that decision. I genuinely believe she did this because it is something she feels strongly about. Mm -hmm. Like, And she has made a difference for other people because... This is not important to her. Like, if she doesn't, because uh, by all accounts, it is still not even known if 1989 will be on Apple Music. Like, right. as Kyle's the Grey in the chat room pointed out, it wasn't on Beats, and Beats was fully paid. I think at this point, though, I, I wouldn't be surprised if part of Eddie's conversation with Taylor when he called her is, you've caused us a lot of problems today. We would really appreciate it if you yep. would do us a solid here, and feel, we'll pretend this never happened. I feel like there might be a little uh, little checkmate here of, like, um, you know, you can't, you can't play the card of, well, 1989 won't be on Apple and here's why, and then Apple changed their mind. You kind of, don't you kind of have to give it to them? And wouldn't yeah. that be a coup for Apple to say, first time on streaming, 1989, here it is? Yeah. And I think that that will happen now. But I think, I think it has to, even, even if it's not as good a deal for Taylor Swift, but maybe that's, you know, maybe that's uh part of her calculation too, is yeah. if they'll do this right, then I'll, I'll help, you know, I'll, I'll pitch in uh, and, and be a part of this launch and give them a little more credibility because they're asking for people to pay after the three months are over. I was just finding myself getting just so angry about this yesterday. Like, yep, because I was putting myself in the position of, and this is, there are a lot of holes in this argument, so you're just going to have to bear with me metaphorically, but let's say that Apple decide that they're going to do a new podcasting service um, and it's going to be awesome, right? It's going to be great. It's going to be everything we've ever wanted. And they contact us and they say, we want you to be a part of it, but you can't have your ads for three months. Right. And it would be like, okay, it would be really great to be on your service, but now I can't eat. <laughs> because the the problem is, and, and I think that maybe some people haven't considered this, when you have a three-month period, a quarter of the year, right? A quarter of the year, if you think about it that way, you can kind of maybe put in perspective as to how long that is. People are going to cancel their Spotify subscriptions. 
beats no longer exists, it's actually negative money for artists in this scenario. Because not only are they not getting paid by Apple, they're not getting their revenues from other services as well. No one's going to buy their music during this period who has an iPhone because they can listen to it for free. Like, the knock-on effect of a a three-month free trial would have been way larger than just people listening to our music on Apple's music service and we're not getting the money for it. Mm -hmm. They would also be losing money on music downloads and streams from other avenues as well because people would be using Apple Music instead. Like, there were so many problems with this and I'm very pleased that they have decided to make this decision. It just annoys me that they had to go through all of this before they did that. And it also frustrates me in the thought that I I love Apple as a company and I do not like the thought that they are going into these negotiations and being like, you can't touch us. I'm not sure that there is anything slimier than a music industry negotiation. Oh, and of I feel like everybody who comes out of there needs to get hosed down. And that includes Apple. And I think that maybe is, like I said earlier, you know, Eddie Q, I think one of the reasons that Eddie Q has been successful from what I hear is that he's good at that. You know, he, and now, now they've got uh, Jimmy Iveen in there too. Right. So they've got, they've got these people, uh, making these negotiations, but the whole thing is is slimy, and you know, and and yes, the labels are screwing the the artists out of money, <laughs> and I mean, there's there's so many things that are messed up about the music industry, but um, and so I guess what I'm saying is I agree with you, and yet I also kind of have to accept that for Apple to play this game, they have to play this game, and the Apple. There's Apple, like, in industries where Apple can make their own way, and that's it with technology stuff. But once you get into entertainment, it's harder because there are entrenched entrenched players and there is a whole different kind of politics. And Apple doesn't, isn't, I think, able to play by the same playbook that it uses when it's doing products and, you know, doing hardware and software. And this is a this is a I think a really great example of it the the fact that the Apple TV hasn't come out and that they're still negotiating on the service stuff the 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 story behind the original iTunes Music Store launch I mean these are all weird probably kind of gross <laughs> um, negotiations going on behind the scenes to make this stuff happen and you know this is in one way this is a little like you know seeing how the sausage is made by having this come out in public is it may be that all sorts of terrible deals are made behind the scenes. In fact, it's almost certain that terrible deals are made behind the scenes. Um, but this one was either beyond the pale a little bit or for, you know, for whatever reason in the, in the, in the big, you know, musicians are really upset about streaming in general because streaming doesn't pay very well. So if the, if, if streaming is the future, I, you know, I don't think anything here has resolved the issue of can musicians make any money like people with hit songs and hit albums don't make money from streaming. So, you know, make make chump change. So that that issue is still there. So there's all it, it's just it's complicated and I think that at some point if you're Apple, you're like we we think we can make the world a little bit better, but um we can't make it much more than that at this point because of who we're dealing with. I do think that's a part of this. I wanted to say, I, I, somebody mentioned uh, the, the theory, and this is kind of a conspiracy theory, but I think it's interesting. The idea that once Apple is up and running with all of this, then stage two is Apple starts um, providing more access to uh, basically what, what they, the conspiracy theory was, then Apple can become its own record label and cut direct deals with 
uh, musicians and change the terms. And that would be an interesting thing that maybe could change the economics of the of the music industry. I'm skeptical of that, which is why I label it as a conspiracy theory. But you never know. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. I feel like you don't want to do a publicity stunt for super bad publicity. That seems crazy. Oh, I certainly agree with that. I don't think this was a publicity stunt at all. I think this was I think this was damage control. I think I think Apple was hoping that they would just make these deals and they'd they'd be able to play hardball and get everybody to agree to the three months free because they want a counterbalance to Spotify and somebody who is on their side in the sense of not offering a free tier and that they figured in the end it would all they everybody would play ball and it turns out that they were pushing a little too hard and that Taylor Swift was the voice that elevated it to the point, got it out in the open, and then they felt like, well, now that it's out in the open, it's not really defensible, so we're just going to have to back off and do some damage control. I think that's, ultimately, I think that's what happened here. Okay, Jason, I'm getting too sad, so let's uh, let's move on, and we can talk about something maybe a little bit more fun. Yeah, now we got bad blood. <laughs> I, could, I, could be, I could drop Taylor Swift references all day, but we should... Oh, yeah? Yeah. Are you a fan? I'm from I'm from the I'm from the '80s, and and 1989 is a great combination of sort of like love of 1980s music and modern pop stuff. I love modern pop music. Yeah, no, I like Taylor Swift. My daughter um, introduced me to Taylor Swift. That that is a thing right. that lots of dads say. <laughs> I I keep meaning to listen to that album though, so it's, maybe I, I'll wait to see if it comes up see, on Apple Music. See if it comes up. It's good. I like it a lot, and it's got an Imogen Heap song on at the end. It's like literally all the instruments are played by Imogen Heap, and and uh, and then it's just uh, it's co-written by Taylor Swift and Imogen Heap. It's it's uh, pretty cool, and she's one of my favorites. So uh, that that was kind of a fun discovery that they collaborated on a on a, a track on that album. What a all combo. right, sponsor time. This week's episode of Upgrade is brought to you by Casper, who are an online retailer of premium mattresses that you can get for just a fraction of the price that you'll find in mattress stores. The mattress industry has inherently forced consumers into paying notoriously high prices. And Casper is here to revolutionize the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing those savings directly to you guys. A Casper mattress provides resilience, and long-lasting supportive comfort. Casper mattresses are one of a kind. They have developed their own type of mattress, a new hybrid that combines premium latex foam with memory foam. These two technologies come together for better nights and brighter days. It has just the right sink and just the right bounce. Usually mattresses can cost well over $1,500, but Casper's mattresses cost between $500 for a twin, $750 for a full-sized, $850 for a queen, and $950 for a king. And all of Casper mattresses are made in America. Casper understands that buying a mattress online can kind of seem like a bit of a crazy thing and leave you wondering how this is possible. Well, what they do is they send them to you in this incredible box, which is really small, which you wouldn't even believe could work. And Impossibly small. Impossibly <laughs> small. <laughs> and it's all his own experience. Jason, what was it like when you opened your Casper mattress? Well, I mean, you, they give you a little tool to puncture the, um, the the plastic a little bit, at which point it, it begins to expand as if it is a monster that will eat your house. Um, but it only expands into a mattress size, and then it stops, which is nice. Um but it's it's amazing that they get it and they vacuum pack it so it can come in this little tiny box and then you take it to whatever room you're going to put the mattress in and open it there and it just poof, opens up. It's kind of magical. I love it. 
Buying a Casper mattress is completely risk-free. They offer free delivery and returns within a 100-day period. It is that simple. Because, you know, lying on a bed for a few minutes in a showroom kind of isn't really the right environment to know if a bed is right for you. And that's why Casper has made this risk-free experience for you. Because they understand the importance of truly lying down on a mattress and trying it out for multiple evenings because you're going to be spending a lot of your life on it. So they give you this 100-day risk-free period, which is absolutely fantastic. Listeners of this show can get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com upgrade and using the code upgrade at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Make sure you see casper.com upgrade. Thank you so much to Casper for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. Video games. Uh, I mentioned this briefly. I ordered an Xbox One last week when Microsoft announced they were going to bring Xbox 360 compatibility by the end of the year. Um, that was sort of enough to push me over the edge. And with it, with uh, kids' graduations coming, I thought that it might make a good surprise gift. Um, so I can re- I, I want to report back on that, which is I ordered it from Amazon. Uh, it's a refurbished Xbox One. Uh, I ordered it with gift wrapping. Got a nice box with blue gift wrapping on it um kids uh got to got to that gift and tore open the wrapping paper and both of them like freaked out i was really expecting it to be like oh it's a console whatever but they were both like i can't believe it they they were both super excited which was great and my wife and i were thinking of getting them an additional like promise of an additional present and we looked at each other and we're like yeah we don't need to do that now (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was like this one huh. hit. This is a this is a hit. We we can we're just gonna leave it here. So I've got that set up. I actually haven't haven't bought any games for it yet. Um, I I um I'm open to suggestions. Um, you know I uh, we have Destiny on the Xbox 360. I might at some point just buy it for the one, just for the upgraded graphics. Um, but uh, but I am looking for some good games to buy. You know, ideally games that you know a, a 10, 11 year old and a 13, 14 year old would play although um cool you know indie-ish games like journey those kind of uh atmospheric games for for uh for grown-ups to play uh i'd be interested in too so if people have uh, feedback or if you have feedback i would i would love to to hear that um uh they haven't played it though because we also bought them a bunch of wii u games because we have a wii u and we got them my son wanted lego batman 3 and uh he and he and my wife have been playing that actually the last couple of days we got mario party 10 which is a huge amount of fun and uh, we played that some, and then um, we got Splatoon, which is spectacularly good, and has Splatoon been... is one of my favorite games of the year so far. It's so, I it's love so that good. game so much, so so much. So remind me, so what consoles do you have? All of them. You have all the consoles. Okay, yeah. all the great consoles. <laughs> all the great consoles. Okay, Splatoon. We should well, we should play sometime. Uh, it's, uh, it's great. It is so, uh, my, I mean, my son went from level one to level like 14 in a day because <laughs> he's yep. just like, I gotta keep playing. I gotta keep playing. But, um, it is super fun. And I, I, when we did our, uh, incomparable podcast about, uh, about, uh, uh, I keep wanting to say halo about, uh, portal. I kept talking about how I really enjoyed just making a mess with the goo that comes out of the various portal things and just like painting the walls of the of the levels in Portal 2 with all the different like different kind of goo that come out of little goo dispensers and uh and so then I see Splatoon and I'm like oh yeah <laughs> it's just that's what you do is paint cover things with paint cover things with ink um 
and the game mechanic is really good. The multiplayer stuff is good. My son's really enjoying the the single player as well. It's a it's just a really great game, and I love I love that it's you know it's it's the stuff that I love the most about uh, multiplayer stuff, which is it's quick. They auto match everything unless you've got a bunch of friends that you want to play with. They're just auto matching levels. Um, you play for three minutes. Uh, there's a winner and a loser. It's based entirely on how much of the map is covered with your color ink at the end, which is a great, simple way of understanding it. And it uses the Wii U gamepad to to effect. I always get sad when there are these Wii U games that just mirror what's on the screen, on the TV screen, on the gamepad, because, um, you know, if you're going to build a console where the controller has its own screen in it, you should take advantage of it. And, and, and Splatoon does that too. So it checked all the boxes for me. I, I think it's really great. Yeah, it's it is just a fantastic game. Um I really really like it a lot. I've been playing it a ton. Um it has kind of everything a Nintendo game should have in it. Um it's fun and it's colorful. The music is just superb and I they know. make a big point of the music in that game. They're adding tons of content. New maps and new weapons um over the last few weeks. This is, I, th- I think I read this, and I think I got the numbers right. This is the first new, brand new Nintendo IP in 10 years. Yeah, I mean, they have the, the squid thing, right? So it's sort of attached to uh, some character that you've seen before, but... Uh, not really. But I know, not, I know I, where you're going with well, that. I mean, but... I, feel like, I feel like that is their tenuous connection to the Nintendo IP, is like, hey, you've seen those squids. Like, you know, it's the squid from Mario Kart, right? But really, it is completely original um, from from all that I can tell. It's it's not like you're, you know, I'll be Yoshi. <laughs> you know, you're all just these people and they turn into squids when they're in the ink. And it's brilliant. I mean, it really is brilliant. This is one of those things. This is why, like, when I listen to Isometric, I hear this a lot. The, the, the you know, there's the talk about the Wii U. It's like, the Wii U is great. It, it is not, it is a shame that it's not doing better. Um, although I understand why it's not doing better. But if once you come to accept that what the Wii U is going to do is give you great first-party games, and not a lot else, um, it's great at the it's great at the first-party games. The the first-party games are like I'm happy we have a Wii U. I don't feel bad. Not only does it play all the old Wii games, some of which we still play, but the new Mario Kart is great. Mario Party 10 is great. Splatoon is fantastic. Uh, the Mario 3D World is good. Um, you know, and and actually, the this port that my son got of the the Lego Batman Three is one of those examples where um, it's actually been built to take advantage of that gamepad, where one player can play on the gamepad and another player can play on the screen. So instead of having to do a zoom out or a split screen, two people can just play, and they're in the same world, but they both have their perspectives, which is a really nice thing that I kind of assumed wouldn't be there because that's a Wii U specific feature, but it's there, which is great. So, so I like the I really like the Wii U. I totally get that if you're committed to you know major game releases, it's going to be a disappointment because it's not going to get them. <laughs> but like something like Splatoon is the flip side of that. I feel like where it's like that is why Nintendo is good at what they do. So something like in regards to that, like me and Federico were just we just wrapped up our E3 coverage, and one of our episodes is about Nintendo and what they had to show at E3, and it's not good. 
They do not have a lot yeah. coming between now and the end of the year. That is really that great. I mean, they're big. They have kind of two games that are on slate between now and the end of the year, which is Yoshi's Woolly World, which looks like the cutest video game ever made. Well, it looks amazing. Well, the, the uh, uh, Kirby's Epic Yarn was uh, a favorite of both Lauren and Julian. They both then they love are gonna that love game. Oh, yeah. Yoshi's Woolly World. Oh, no. World. That, we'll be getting that on day one. The, the, You've got to pre-order that with right. the Yarn Amiibo. That's what you need to do. Huh. We haven't done because the Amiibo thing. They have made a, a Amiibo out of a Yarn Yoshi. It's an actually made of Yarn. It's the best. I have one on pre-order already. Uh, and um, they also have Super Mario Maker. Oh, yeah. I've, I've read about that. Where you yeah, make your own, that- you get to make your own levels. Yeah, that is their big game for the rest of the year, which is not, that is not enough. It really isn't enough. Um, For the only, basically, Mario Maker kind of looks like a mini game. In essence, just a game creation game. It's not, there's not really a lot to it. Um, And I think that they're going to, they're going to struggle. The, the end of this year with, yeah. with the offering that they've got. They were supposed to have... Oh, they also got Star Fox, but Star Fox are not that interested in. They were supposed to have an oh. incredible-looking new Zelda game, but it's delayed. I'm excited about the Star Fox thing, because I, I like I like those kind of games. I like the, the spaceship flying kind of game. That, that, yeah, uh, I, I would have been excited about it, and then they showed it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that's the problem. Uh, <laughs> it, it In theory... It's going to be great because everyone's been waiting for this game for a long time. It looks like it was made for the GameCube. That is sad. Yeah, it's not. It's not good. This is the, this is their problem right now. They are. They seem to be not in a very good uh, state with their game gaming offerings, which is bad. a shame. Well, Splatoon, which came out this year, is a yep. is a winner. That is a yes. that is a legitimately fantastic game. And if somebody. You know, if you have access to a Wii U or somebody who's got it, I I, I cannot recommend it highly enough. Um, it's yeah, it's just you could and you can play it endlessly, endlessly if you want to because of the different maps and um, the the way that they match up the multiplayer stuff and it's just it's just incredibly well done. And as somebody who you know spent a lot of time trying to do multiplayer stuff on the original Xbox. Um, and deal with just jerks on the internet who are playing games. That's the other nice thing about the way it, it works is that it's a good online playing experience from Nintendo, which is um, not didn't used to be a thing that you could say about anything ever. <laughs> but it's good. It's well matched, and you don't have jerks who are uh, you know who are messing up your game and you know using questionable names and questionable icons. It's all kind of. Uh, safe and fun and everybody's having a good time and uh, I, I appreciate that a lot yeah I mean the more I've played it the more I'm starting to see the traditional Call of Duty tactics sure so well, jumping a lot and stuff like that but that's gonna happen yeah sure um, but it's that one of the great things about it is you can hide yes you can you can hide in the and ink. you can just do your own thing. I mean, you can run around and just paint the environment. You don't have to run into the fray. Right. Well, I mean, and you could actually argue that one of the nice things about it is that I'm not sure strategically if all you're doing is shooting other people. I'm not sure that that's the best strategy in that game. 
right? Because no. you need to have paint coverage everywhere. And if you're busy yep. just kind of like going after the other players, you will, you know, paint as you do that. But uh, if your whole team is just doing that, you're going to lose because that's not enough. You've got to, because they're going to go behind you and they're going to paint more area than you are. And, you know, if you're hanging out in the middle, you're not going to get that. I, I, I like that. I mean, there's a limit to that. You're right. It is first person shooter tactics after a while. But, uh, you know, it's all with paint, which I also like. It's just, you know, it's added a little quirkiness and gentleness to it that I think is good. What should I, what should I look for on the Xbox One since you've got all the consoles? There has not been a lot, um, really. I mean, just in general, there have not been a lot of exciting games. Uh, I'm looking at Ori and the Blind Forest for I've a journey-like that. experience. People I've, recommended I've not that. I've played that. Yeah. yeah, but I've heard I've heard good things about that game. Um, I mean, this is, depending on how serious you want to get, uh, the new Batman game, Arkham Knight. Oh, yeah, I've, I've heard about that. Comes out tomorrow. Huh. Um, and Polygon, my my website of choice for these things, gave it a 10 out of 10. Wow. Um, I have it arriving tomorrow. I am fortunately then going away for a few days, but <laughs> I look forward to playing it uh, because that 10 out of 10 is a good score. Yeah. And, you know, that is because it's as good as you can get. And there are a lot, not a lot of games that get that. And Polygon are very uh, tight with their, with their perfect game score. So I am excited about playing that game. Definitely. So I'll let you know that Arkham Knight could be the first really, really big, good game of the, this console generation. Hmm. Uh, moving towards the end of this year, uh, there's going to be a lot more. E3 had a lot of really interesting and exciting things, and there's going to be some cool stuff for um, for Xbox. There is a game that you would love. Um, uh, what is it called? I think something Cup. What is the name? Uh, Cuphead. <laughs> it is hand-drawn animation in the style of Steamboat Willie. Wow. It looks just superb. Oh, I see, um, I see. Uh, it, every frame, or every like every animation is hand-drawn. Um, and they've shown this off at two E3s now. And it looks just incredible. And apparently is a really, really fun game to play as well. So, Okay. Well, I, I, I may turn to you in the future for more advice about this because we're going to start getting into the Xbox One now that it's uh, now that we've got that. We've got one more console than I'd like, but, you know, the we'll start investing in Xbox One games, um, not in Xbox 360 games anymore, and then hopefully the Xbox 360 games that we still want to play will end up cranking through Microsoft's thing that they're doing eventually and will at some point be able to kiss the xbox 360 goodbye and just play on the xbox one because that's that's always the hurdle for me is you know i don't want to i don't want to add consoles i would prefer to swap in a new console for an old console and i just added one which i'm not thrilled about and i still don't have a ps4 but you know what you're gonna do they'll do that hd remake of journey and then i'll feel the pull of the ps4 yep you wait it's gonna happen all right, should we move on to uh, hashtag ask upgrade? Great idea. Let's do that. All right. So as always, our good friends at MailRoute are sponsoring uh, hashtag ask upgrade. Who do you want looking after your email? I have an answer for you, a simple answer. Nerds. Email nerds. People who live, breathe, eat, sleep, email. Emails being delivered to them all times of the day and night. And that's 
the people at MailRoute. They have built this cloud-based system that sits between your mail server and the big bad internet, sits between you and spam and viruses and bounced email. And how it works is you sign up, there's a risk-free trial, no credit card necessary. You change your MX records, which are those things that tell the outside world where your email goes. What server does this domain's email go to? Um, and then you point that at MailRoute. And that's it. At that point, your mailbox, your hardware, your mail server, all completely protected. No reason not to try it because of the risk-free trial. Um, MailRoute server lives in the cloud. Uh, you don't have to update any hardware or software. They do all of that. They maintain it. Their software is very intelligent. It is sorting through all of the good stuff and the bad stuff. It takes the good stuff and just turns around and delivers that to your mail server. So your mail server, the flow of mail to your mail server goes way down because now junk isn't coming to it. Instead, only good stuff is coming to it. The bad stuff stays out in the mailbox, uh, the, the mail route like uh, penalty box. And it stays there for a while. You'll get a report that says, here's what we filtered out. If something good happens to get uh, get through, you can click. One click will deliver it. You can opt to whitelist the sender of it so that person's email will never be filtered again. It'll just pass right through to you, somebody trustworthy. And big organizations love this because anybody who runs a mail server, this is for you. So big corporations, universities use this. Uh, simple interface for desktop users. So if you're a, an email admin or an IT professional in an organization, your desktop users are not going to get confused. It's super easy for them. And it's great for you because they've got all the tools that you need, an API for easy account management, and support for all the buzzwords that you are going to expect if you're managing email. So LDAP and Active Directory support, TLS, mailbagging. The bagging of mail? mailbagging, uh, outbound relay, everything you'd want from people who handle your mail. So risk-free trial, no credit card necessary. And if you uh, are an upgrade listener like you are, you can get 10% off. Amazing deal. 10% off, not for a month, not for three months, not for a year. For the lifetime of your account with MailRoute. That's right. 10% off forever. You go to MailRoute.net slash upgrade right now. That's MailRoute.net, M-A-I-L-R-O-U-T-E dot net slash upgrade, and you'll get 10% off. And thank you to MailRoute for sponsoring hashtag AskUpgrade. So our first Ask Upgrade question this week comes from at uh, Markintosh on Twitter. Very clever. Uh, iOS 9 moves search back to the swipe right on the first home screen versus the iOS 8 swipe down on any home screen. Thoughts? Uh, it's both. <laughs> yeah. Is the answer, which is kind of interesting. I don't know why it's both, but it is both. You can do the search by swiping uh, across to the right or down from the top. Well, so at least in the in the iOS 9 beta, which, you know, it's just a first beta at this point. Maybe there'll be a second soon. Um, and everything can change. But it looks now like the difference is if you swipe down, what you get is a search box with your cursor already, you know, insertion point blinking and your keyboard comes up and you can quickly type a search. Whereas if, you, if you're moving to that page, that earlier page, what you're getting is the Apple equivalent of Google Now. You're getting the smart, you know, like, here's what's going on right now. Here are people that you care about and news that's happening and, you know, context relevant suggestions. And there's a search box and you can start typing. So I think that's um, I think that's the reason they have it in two places is are you just quickly searching for something or do you want to see this page that is providing you with information so you never need to type anything? Um, I like it. I think it's I think it's a nice idea. I don't mind having that on page zero of the home screen. 
I think that's probably the best place to put it. So I'm okay that they that they brought it back, given that what's on there is uh, content now and not just a search box. I think the search box, having a search box as page zero is a little bit stranger to me than having, uh, you know, a, a page of stuff that Apple thinks you might want to see as page zero. I'm happy with it. I've actually found a new, um, sorry, a, a couple of pieces of news that were I wanted to know randomly just by going ah. to that page to search for things. See, it's working so, already. Seriously, like there was, um, I was going to Foo Fighters concert, but it got cancelled because Dave Grohl fell off the stage and broke his leg. Yeah. Uh, and he kept uh, on playing rock and roll. Exactly. I found out that my concert was cancelled via that service. Wow. So, sad news for me, because mm-hmm. I was very, very excited about it. But, you know, it gave me the information that I needed to know. Um, at 747, Captain asked me, what airline did I fly from SFO that had onboard Wi-Fi? And they're, it was United. They're on to us, Mike. The 747 like, captains are on to us. United. <laughs> but it wasn't... Were you? And you were direct going back. So, yes, that's that United... I've been on that flight, the SFO to Heathrow, direct on United. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was very happy about it. Interesting. Interesting. Very well, happy indeed. Now you know. What else? So we have another question here from Jimmy, and Jimmy has asked if we have tried the Knock Watch app. This is, Knock is uh, an app that allows you to unlock your Mac uh, previously by tapping on your phone screen, but now it has a watch app as well to unlock. Have you used this? I have. Um, I have. I have. I think it's a great idea, and I think adding the watch app makes it that much greater of an idea. Um, although you know you have to launch the app and wait and all that, but it's a good idea, made probably better by native version of it coming with uh, with WatchOS two. Um, however, I no longer live i no longer work in a place <laughs> where i feel the need to lock my my uh, stuff when i when, when i was at idg and i had like budgets and lists of people who we were laying off and stuff like that i had it locked you know i had my computer locked and you know you had to enter in a password every time to get into it i don't do that here because i'm at home and I'm not concerned about it anymore. If I were still at work, I would absolutely get this and use it because I like the convenience of it. That it's a, um, you know, it's uh, it's not quite unlocking because it knows that it's you, but it's pretty close. And I think that's a good idea. And I think this is one of those areas where we're going to see more. I feel like, I don't know what the details are, but I feel like we're going to see more of this from Apple. Um, that this is going to be one of those areas where Apple pushes this forward is, you know, more biometric stuff to make things more secure without making them more complicated because that it seems to be to be exactly what apple is all about um and then we have kevin uh do your watches feel warm in the morning after charging overnight yes mine does it does feel warm it always freaks me out a little bit i haven't noticed that at all um i so i i don't know maybe maybe my room is cooler than yours and i i honestly i don't know I, I haven't yeah, noticed. It's always warm when I put it on oh. in the morning. So it doubles the charger, doubles as a uh, watch warmer. Or a fire starter, depending on how that ends up going. I bought that dock, by the way. I think I bought it during the show last week. The, the elevation dock thing? N- no, the the um, the um one that's on its side, that comes yeah, on its side? Yeah, that's from Oh, elevation is that Elevation Labs. Lab? Yeah. 
Yeah, the nightstand. I did buy that. I haven't gotten it yet, but I bought it. Isn't that like the story of Elevation Doc's history? Just yeah, I haven't yeah. gotten it yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I paid for it, but you know, they said they shipped it. I think. So okay. I guess we'll I guess we'll see. Um, I can track my shipment, but I did because I like that idea. I don't it, my my watch is like sliding around. And I I could have just you know taped down the charger or something, but I kind of like the idea. It's that that fits on my little nightstand that I've got. I think having a place to park the watch at the end of the day is a good thing. So I'm looking forward to to using that. It's uh, my, wa- my, it uh, is expected to be delivered today, I'm told. Oh, wow. Look at that. Maybe it could arrive during the show. Imagine. It, it, imagine the possibilities. Like my, like that iPad Air 2 that I bought that arrived during the show uh, last week. Could have a live audio unboxing. Yeah, that would be nothing more exciting than opening a box in audio form. Wrestling of cardboard. Kyle's the Grey would like to know, have you ordered a new Kindle yet? ha, <laughs> ha. So so the story here for Kyle Seth Gray, um, and that's how you say that name, but you're never going to do it. Kyle's the Gray. Oh, Kyle's the Gray. No. Ky- so Kyle asks this because there's a new version of the Paperwhite, which um, is coming out toward the end of the month. I don't think it's out yet. And it's uh, – so the Paperwhite is not the one that came out last year, the Voyage. They kept the Paperwhite around, and they seem to have updated it this time. It's got a high-resolution screen. It's more like the Kindle Voyage screen, although my understanding is the Kindle Voyage screen is still better in some ways, but it, the two are closer together than they were before. The Voyage is smaller and lighter than the than the uh, the Paperwhite and has these little uh, – page turning buttons on the side that you can kind of squeeze and it turns it vibrates a little and turns the page um and that's the voyage is more expensive than the paperwhite i haven't ordered it because i i have a voyage and a paperwhite and i like them both and um i think my wife basically is has received the paperwhite from me and i'm happy to use the kindle voyage um if they i would be intrigued by a new upgrade to the, their line that added, you know, physical turn buttons instead of the sort of squeeze turn buttons that they've got now. And you can refer to our whole episode that we did with Scott McNulty about the Kindle back in episode, when was that, like eight or something? Long time ago. Um, but I haven't ordered this because it's just a paperweight upgrade and I've already got the Voyage, which is better than it. However, I will say this. If you're looking for an ebook reader, if you're looking for a dedicated e-ink reader, which I love because they're great for reading text, they're not distracting because they don't have apps that'll let you flip over and check your email and Twitter and stuff like that. They're simple. They're light. The battery lasts a long time. They're great for reading outside and in. They light themselves now. They've got their own backlighting, so you don't have to like strap a book light to them. If you're in the market for something like that, the I don't recommend the Voyage because I think it's too expensive for what it is. And especially now, I was already saying you should buy the Paperwhite, but now you should really... I think the paper white is the one to buy. Even though I don't love the fact that you have to tap on the touch screen to turn the pages, the fact that it is a, a really nice e-ink screen and it's got its own lighting built into it, um, that's the one that I would recommend because the Amazon's library is fantastic. Apparently there's a, I want to say there's a Nook reader. Is it the Nook reader? There's a, there's a or maybe maybe not. There, there's another reader out there that actually sounds like it's better than the Kindle in terms of the hardware, but... You know, Amazon's ecosystem is so good at this point that it's very hard for me to recommend um, another ebook reader other than a Kindle. But there are other readers out there that are that are good. But I would recommend the Paperwhite if you're looking for a Kindle, not the Voyage. The new Paperwhite looks good in in that way. 
Last question from Nathan. To get Google Now-like functionality, would you be willing to give Apple your data if they didn't sell it to advertisers? Interesting question. I mean, if there's a privacy policy and they say, you know, we're we're not... I would probably not have a problem, but then I, I use Google and you use Google. So I don't know if you would not have a problem. Is the issue selling it to advertisers? Is it the issue that since it's going to be decrypted on Apple servers, it's accessible to the government? I'm, I think there are lots of different issues. I'm not not having my information aggregated and sold to advertisers is is maybe not my top issue with having the servers be able to scan my data. I don't know. I would do it. You would do it? Yeah, for the same reasons that I give Google my data. Like, I would do it. I'd be happy to do it. Yeah. If it meant that I got genuine utility out of it, then I would be willing to do it, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think I I think I agree. Um, and the, the, the issue here is, as Nathan said... Um, what if there's a privacy policy and Apple says, look, we're, we're going to we're gonna use this data only to match it up and send it to your devices and all that. That said, I don't think, I think Apple's going to avoid this as much as they can and try to do as much on their devices as they can and, and then sync data across the devices because the devices are in your possession. They have their encryption keys on them. They talk to each other. Apple doesn't see the data other than as encrypted blobs. And I think Apple is trying very hard to build your little personal cloud of devices who can who can uh, crunch uh, the numbers and uh, associate things together and go out over the internet and talk to each other securely rather than having that all happen up in the cloud, which is what Google does. And I think they're pretty committed to that concept. The idea that, you know, everything like face recognition for photos right now only happens on photos for Mac, but it does happen there. And the face name matches sync to iCloud. So the Mac does the facial recognition work but all the devices can can do a search for a person's face and see those those photos. I think Apple really wants that to be the model here. Um, you know, at some point they're going to need to add that facial recognition to iOS too. But um, you know, they'll get there. I think. But, so I think Apple really doesn't want to have unencrypted or unencryptable data that it can access up in the cloud for lots of different reasons. Okay, Jason. So before we uh, take a look at our movie for this episode. Mm. Uh, let me take a moment and thank our friends over at Squarespace. You can start building your website today at squarespace.com. You can enter the offer code UPGRADE at checkout and grab yourself 10% off Squarespace. Beauty, beautiful. When you're thinking about finding a place for yourself online, Squarespace is such a great place to try out because, in my opinion, there is nowhere better. They give you all of the power that you need and take away all the stuff that you don't want to have to worry about. They can give you a site that's going to look fantastically designed regardless of your skill level. You don't need to know any coding. They have such beautiful tools and fantastic templates that you can take advantage of to make your website look and feel exactly how you you want. When I have a little project that I want to do, like my blog, for example, MikeHurley.net, it's a Squarespace site because I just don't want to have to worry about it. I set it once and then it's perfect because they have state-of-the-art technology that can power your site and they also ensure security and stability. You, know, you don't need to worry about doing updates or anything like that. Squarespace is trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world. Like, for example, with Relay, we built out our own system for all of our stuff, but we needed a blog 
and we needed a store. Now, we're not going to do that. That's crazy town. So we just went straight to Squarespace. It's just so simple. We could get a template that looked really good. We could choose the colors that we wanted. We could put our logo there. And they have great blogging tools, right? And they have great commerce tools. So we're able to sell our own merchandise. We have a store, store.relay.fm. You can go there and you can buy stuff. And that's exactly how we wanted it to be because why have to worry about all of the hassle when you just don't want to have to think about it yourself. So you just go to relay.fm slash store. You can find our stuff there. It's all powered by Squarespace. Their templates are really great. They look great on all devices. They have responsive design built right in. Don't forget Squarespace has their 24-7 support with live chat and email. They have teams located in New York, Dublin, and Portland who are there to help. They have the cover page, which is the ability to build a great-looking single-page website. So you can have just a Squarespace site that's just one page, or it can be an intro to your site to give it a different flavor. Maybe you've got something you want to promote. They have rock-solid, fast hosting, and just so much more, like their dev tools. If you are the type of person that wants to dig in and, and tinker around with the code you can do this this is available to you they've adding more functionality to this all the time to really kind of just let you take it even further than ever before and if you sign up for a year you're also going to get yourself a free domain name allowing you to choose exactly what you want your site to be called and squarespace plans start at just eight dollars a month you can start a free trial with no credit card required and start building your website today by going to squarespace.com and when you decide to sign up make sure that you use the offer code upgrade not only will you be supporting this show you will also be getting yourself 10 percent off your first purchase thank you to squarespace for their support again of this show and for helping us out with Relay FM. Squarespace, build it beautiful. So today's movie is Say Anything. Uh, when was this movie released? Obviously sometime in the 80s. It's 1989, so okay. right at the end of the 80s, uh, directed by Cameron Crowe, who uh, I think became uh, well-known first for writing Fast Times at Ridgemont High. He went on to... Um, I think his most famous movie is uh, Jerry Maguire, which was nominated for a bazillion Oscars. Um, and he also made Singles, which was really great. And he also made, um, oh, what's it called? Uh, Almost Famous, which is actually a great film too. So he's made a bunch of good stuff uh, over the years. But this is uh, this is probably my favorite of his films. So why did you pick this movie? Is it a favorite of yours or do you just like yeah. it? It, it, I don't know it as well as some of the others that I picked, but I do love it. It's I wanted to stay with the 80s theme. I had a whole bunch of John Cusack movies on my list of things to recommend to you, which I thought was funny. I was looking at it thinking, wait a second, I've got a lot of John Cusack on here. Um, I decided not to make you watch High Fidelity because I made Joe and Dan on the Defocused podcast watch High Fidelity recently. Um, also not from the 80s, but starring John Cusack. I thought about Gross Point Blank. Also not from the 80s, but starring John Cusack. But I decided Say Anything fits with your 80s theme. It is a uh, a, a movie from this period that I, I really like. I think it, it does some things that are very different from other movies of this genre and type. I think that it's got, uh, I think it's smart and funny and sweet. And it does have uh, not only a, a an incredibly famous scene and image in it, but also a memorable quote involving a pen. It's all ticking all my boxes, basically. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, pretty much. So I mentioned before, I knew the boombox moment. Yeah. Um, that was one thing. And this the first time that... You couldn't identify the song, though. You couldn't identify the song when you said, he's holding a boombox and there's probably something playing. <laughs> yeah, I know I know the song now, though. Yeah. Though I, I couldn't tell you the name, but I know it. Partly it's because... in your eyes, Peter Gabriel. There you go. Love that mm -hmm. song. Love that song. 
used to great effect in his movie. Yes. Uh, this was the first movie out of all of the ones that we've done on Mike at the Movies that was available on Netflix. Oh, nice. It's the only one I didn't have to buy. <laughs> all right. Or rent. So, so I'm looking out for you there. I don't think it's on... I looked on US Netflix. It's not on US Netflix. It's actually not on UK iTunes. That was where I oh, went first. It's oh. just not there. But to buy or it didn't rent. matter because it's on UK Netflix. Exactly. That was all I needed. Beautiful. So... Uh, the movie starts off and it's kind of like y- you overhear a conversation between some kids. Yeah, I say kids. Like, how are they? Like 19, These are 20? all, they're, they're, gra- they're graduating from high school. So they're all eight, 18, 17, 18, 19. Okay. They're, all, they're all about to graduate from high school in Seattle, Washington. And you hear the words graduation and yearbook. So like the scene yep. is set. You know uh-huh. where you are. You know how old your characters are. You know what time of their life it is. It's, you know. That transition I think, period. I actually think an unusual time to set a high school. You know, this is listed in like Entertainment Weekly did their list of the best high school movies. But it's a it is a funny place to set a movie because it is set in the summer between high school and college. High school is the, over. They yeah. they are graduating and they have a party and high school is over. Yeah, exactly. That's how the how the movie starts. Um, and then there's basically a conversation between uh, John Cusack's character Lloyd and his friends Corey and what's the other what's the other girl's name in the movie? Oh. Is it DC? Is that her? Or was it somebody else? I don't know. No. Rebecca? Who is No. This is tough. Maybe. I... Could be could be Rebecca. Like let's I go. I forget with who that the other one is. Now. Lily Ta- Lily Taylor though is the important I would say important character in that. Yeah. Mm. She's Corey. Yeah. Um, basically, they're having a conversation, and Lloyd is talking about uh, a girl that he likes, Diane, who's played by Help Me. How do you say this first name? Oh, yeah. Ioni Sky. Ioni, Ioni. There you Ioni go. Sky. Ioni Sky. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she basically, John, uh, John Cusack's character Lloyd is in basically really likes her and wants to ask her out, but is worried that Diane doesn't know him, um, and. You know, his friends, Corey, and we're saying for now, uh, Rebecca. Or we'll say it's Rebecca. Um, yeah. Saying, basically, you know, you, you probably have no chance of her. She doesn't know who you are. Like, you know, we. and then they say to him, I love this line. We don't want to see you get hurt. And he says, I want to get hurt. <laughs> uh, I just really like that. Uh, and then, basically, we know that they're then the three of them who are friends uh, about to head off to their graduation. And then we kind of cut to... Uh, a car scene with John Mahoney, the dad. Didn't know he's in this movie. Love that guy. Love that guy. Uh, uh-huh. Because of Fraser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just love yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah, he's... Yeah, it's the dad from Fraser is is uh, is uh, Diane's dad. Ioni Sky's dad in this. And they're basically running through uh, the valedictorian speech that Diane right. is going to be giving. Right, and it may, it's clear that he... Just he he thinks the world of his daughter and thinks yep. she's going to go on to do great things and everything. She can do no wrong to him. Yep. Uh, and she tells this little joke um, about going back, like I assume mm-hmm. to college or to high school or whatever. Basically, yeah. then there's this scene where this uh, obvious jock who everybody loves is singing a song terribly, singing, singing the greatest yes, love of all, the greatest love of all, which includes the line "They can't take away my dignity," which is hilarious because. He is. It is the least dignified thing somebody could ever do is sing that song the way he sings it on that stage. It's hilarious. 
and then Diane gives her speech, <laughs> which goes down okay, basically. Yeah, it's not it's not a super hit. The line that her father generously laughed at is sort of confusing to people, just as you know, you could have guessed from hearing it. Like that's that's kind of strange, and not people aren't going to get it, and and uh, they they kind of don't get it. But you know, she's she's a valedictorian. She's not widely beloved, and the stuff she does isn't widely praised. It's just not that's not the slot that she's in. Can I can I admit at this point that that um that Ioni Sky is the person I identify with in this film? <laughs> Being because I I was what second in my class and gave a speech at graduation and always felt I mean I, her isolation from the people in her school that 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 feels really uh, familiar to me. So I think that's I I always always uh, identify with her when I'm watching this. I feel for. her. And when they're in the crowd, like they go to a crowd scene and there's all these whirring video cameras. It's like another thing that I really like because before that they're talking about dating, that the beginning of dating is calling someone up Mm -hmm. to get things started. You have to call them on the telephone. There's like a scene where uh, Lloyd, his cassette player, is chewing up a tape. And I don't know, there was just something about that that was really fun. Yeah, he's like hitting hitting it because it's distorting the music and he has to hit the tape in 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 the... car cassette player yeah and so like this coupled with um some other tropes of 80s movies that are happening like there's lots of musical interstitials lots of non-diegetic music that's just there um, yeah that's also a cameron crow thing because he is an obsessed music nut and actually married one of the lead singers in the band heart and then they got divorced later but he's he is a and singles is like his movie that he made it after this i think is basically like it's practically the the seattle grunge music scene is as important a character as anyone who's in that film so he's music is Cameron Crowe's are really about the music. And so the not only is this an 80s movie with lots of music, but it's also kind of Cameron Crowe being really fussy about like the music. He, it's like he's making a mixtape here in the soundtrack. And it's this sort of stuff that makes me... I really love 80s movies. And I'm happy that we're doing this. I'm realizing how much I love 80s movies going through this this series with you. There are just things about them, the way they look, like the color and like the way that they're shot. I, I just really, really love this style of filmmaking that was happening at that time. I just really like it. It just it, they make me happy for some reason. Um, the next kind of big scene we go to, we start to learn a bit about the father-daughter relationship mm. between Diane and Mr. Court. Yeah. It's James Court, but he's basically mm-hmm. Mr. Court. He is. Um, or sir, as Lloyd often will call him. Yeah. And th- th- he clearly would do anything for his daughter. It's like he mm-hmm. gives her a car, he gives her a ring. But it is also in this scene where I realize how beautiful Ioni Sky is. Yeah. That is the one thing here that, I mean, she's supposed to be this somewhat dowdy. Although, I don't know. I think you could argue that that maybe she was... If you if 
I think the argument is not like the classic 80s argument that she'd just be beautiful if she put on, you know, took off her glasses and put on some makeup or something like that. She's beautiful. She is she is absolutely beautiful in this movie. I think the argument is that she's just socially isolated, that yeah. she, she's completely overmothered, you know, overparented by her father. And she's kind of aloof from everybody. She's the brain. Even, you know, Lloyd's friends try to talk him out of even talking to her because she's super scary because she's the brain. And we see it from Diane's perspective and she's like totally isolated and uh, f- sort of okay with it and and then ultimately sort of not. But um, it is funny to have that moment of like, I'm not sure even if she was the brain and had all these other issues and was kind of aloof from everybody socially, I'm not sure I buy that that could have been maintained throughout high school given um, how attractive Ioni Sky is in this. But let's, you know, it, it seems well, less ridiculous than in some other movies where it's an obviously beautiful woman but she's got glasses on and then she takes them off and everybody goes, oh my God, we didn't notice because that's ridiculous. This I don't is less think ridiculous. I see where you're going with that, but I think that the party scene, which we'll get to in a bit more detail in a mm-hmm. minute, shows that everybody thinks she's beautiful because everyone wants to talk to her. Well, well that's true. And, and it's like she's, she's never gone to a party. She's, she's never, never been available. She's never come off the mountaintop to yeah. talk to them and the first thing that happens when they walk in is that is that uh you know a blonde girl just comes over and it's like it's so great i'm so happy you're here let me go introduce you to a lot of cute guys while lloyd yeah. is being accosted and and loses track of her for a while so yeah it's true but that that is i i was right every time i watch this movie i'm like oh my god i only sky in 1989 all right i don't i don't like to do this stuff too much but She's so beautiful. She's like, beautiful. It's just yeah, ridiculous. No, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, one. This is one of the things that I really like. So in this scene, it's like this really nice, calm mood. This soft piano music is playing throughout. Like that is the way that she is being built. And then like jump cut to uh, Lloyd kickboxing with heavy metal. Like <laughs> yeah. this is really like, yeah, these are very different people. Mm-hmm. And then he's basically, he's doing this kickboxing routine to build up the courage to call. Yes. Right? Um, so then he, he grabs the phone uh, and he calls the house and gets and he, he, he gets on the phone with, with Diane's father and basically talking. And he's like, I'll take a number from you. That's how this usually works. Yeah, because he's trying to explain and maybe like ask his dad to ask, ask her dad to ask her out for him or something and and he doesn't know where he's going he's completely at sea here and he's like and yeah i'll just give me your number that's how also, this works i think giving the impression that this happens a lot because he's like are you the one with the mustang oh, yeah. are you the one with this like you right. know the datsun like he keeps asking and it's like this is how this usually works yeah yeah that's true also you left out the um we see lloyd's life lloyd's parents lloyd's dad's in the army uh his parents are absent um they're in germany and he's living with his sister, played by John Cusack's sister, Joan Cusack, and her um, her son. And so she's her her uh, son's father has has run off, um, and she yells at him at one point for being his play, the the son's playmate instead of his uncle, which seems kind of mean to me and to Lloyd too. And then he goes into the bathroom with the phone and 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 calls to try to set up this date with Diane, who who has essentially never met him. Is it before this point or after this point that Diane finds out about the Reed Fellowship? Uh, I think it's after because I think 
I think that happens. I think that happens after that. That she's at the at the nursing home, and her yes. dad comes to tell tell her that she's uh, she's won a fellowship and she's going to be going to England. Oh, what yes, an exotic place, yeah. England! Yeah, obviously, because uh, he <laughs> because then well he then says uh, before before because basically there's a telephone call after Lloyd puts down the phone and it's to say that she's got this refellowship, she's going to England. Right. But there's this one other line that I really love where as the conversation is wrapping up between Lloyd and Mister Colt, he says uh, Lloyd says she's pretty great, isn't she? And then uh, Mister Colt yeah. says, "Yes, she is. Good luck, kid." Yeah, I like I liked it because it was kind of just like she is great. You sound like a nice guy. Good luck. Like I, I well, kind of like that. That was I, I how think I it's took a, it anyway. I think it's a cool dynamic too that you know he we've seen that John Mahoney thinks the world of her, and we know that Lloyd thinks the world of her. And this is kind of what the one of the main conflicts in the movie is about is um, these two guys who think the world of Diane and they're kind of in opposition because the father has his issues and doesn't want to let her go and has judgment about Lloyd. But this is the one thing that they can absolutely agree on is she's pretty great. And it's that it's a funny moment where if you're the, you're the proud parent of this girl and a boy calls to ask her out and tells you she's great. What are you going to say? It's like, yeah, she is. Like at <laughs> I this agree. Point we in agree. The movie, until much later, <laughs> they are not in opposition. Like, yeah, it's yeah, that's right. That they're very much like on par with each other and and have respect for each other. That's true. That's true. They they ultimately end up. Uh, it ends up being problematic, but mm-hmm. it's true. They 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 admire they admire Diane and and Lloyd proves his uh, his uh, trustworthiness. I would say, and and he he truly you know truly he's not lying when he says she's pretty great. He really is taking care of her, and that he'll take care of her, and she'll be back safely, and all of that from the all night graduation party he's he's absolutely proven trustworthy about that so then uh they find out that she's won the reed fellowship i like where um he's saying to like you know where mr Colt's saying to diane you need to ab- admit your special tell me your special and he says about the pyramid everyone starts down the bottom and you've reached right mm. to the top um and I, I just liked all of that kind of stuff and because it's more like laying the groundwork of how much he loves her yeah um, then uh, later she uh, Diane returns Lloyd's call uh, yes and he's basically trying to convince her to go on a date with him like she's like I'm I'm very busy and he's like are you busy this day are you busy yeah, this she, day she immediately says I'm busy like forever yeah. I'm busy and he will not take no for an answer it's <laughs> I, kind of adorable I'm mon- are you mon- monumentally busy I like that <laughs> and then uh, she ends up agreeing to go to the party with him after uh-huh. she says that she's going to England and he's you know he says oh I, I went to England for three months I think this is what probably intrigues her and he's like I could give you right. tips many tips English tips or yep. no tips of any kind <laughs> <laughs> that's right and then he kind of oversells it where she sort of agrees and he's still trying to sell it and then he ba- he's like all right okay all right yeah it's it's adorable he's uh yep this is vintage John Cusack it's that Lloyd is so um yeah He's so committed here and 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 so genuine. So then uh, he goes and picks her up, and there's a nice exchange. Um, he's very very uh, kind and and uh, respectful to Mister Colt, like calling him sir and saying that he'll have a home late and saying I could do kickboxing so I can take care of her and really laying yeah. it on. Um, yep. And then they take it. To, they they go to the party, and that's where like you know everybody goes up to to Diane, and everyone's really surprised that she's there with Lloyd. Then mm-hmm. Lloyd gets given the opportunity of 
the, sorry, the opportunity, the job of Keymaster, where yes. he effectively will not drink for the evening and must decide who can take their keys at the end of the night, so they can. This drive is on. a very, this is a very eighties phenomenon. This is the um, mothers against drunk drivers, take people's keys, designated driver thing. This was really emerging in, I, I believe, at one point they show a there's an eighty eight written on a toilet seat. So I think this is supposed to essentially be my high school class that I'm watching here, and this definitely was part of the culture. Was whether the, this you know really happened a lot, I think is arguable. But um, this was very a very eighties thing of like we're gonna have we're gonna have somebody watching or you know the, after my high school graduation there was a big overnight party at somebody's house and the whole idea was that you you went out there and you stayed there all night and they took your you know they took your keys away and that that absolutely that absolutely did happen so it's it's funny to see that here that that is a real that is a real thing very 80s something that i do not understand uh the career counselor arrives at the party (laughs) tells tells lloyd that he needs to kind of sort his life out and he needs to to go to junior college pick something decide what he wants to do with his life but then she joins the party she gives him her keys and goes to the party and i don't understand how old is she meant to be well bb newworth is playing that part more more members of the fraser um extended family right that she was fraser's ex-wife um and um and set in seattle too man it's all connected to fraser isn't Mm -hmm. it so um she i feel like you know, I always read that as just being that she was she was uh, one of those uh, high school teachers slash counselors who was perhaps overly friendly with the students. That's yeah. really what I got. Like, oh, she like hits him in as a, well. In yeah, inappropriately um, friendly with the students and maybe trying to relive her own high school years uh, when she should not be. And that's just sort of how I read that. Is that's that's you know she's an Mrs. Evans is a bit inappropriate. <laughs> yep. So the first date is done. They're basically, they, they spend the time together. He's being very nice looking out for her. Yeah, then they got to drive this kid They got to drop a guy yeah. off who doesn't know where he lives. Nope, and they're driving all morning, <laughs> and they're very, very nice. He's very gentlemanly. They're walking around. They're talking, and it's good. Uh, and at this point, like I realize how happy this movie is making me. <laughs> oh. like, I'm watching it, and I just feel really good. I love these type of love stories. These very simple, like mm-hmm. young love love stories. Um, and it, but, it, it, this part actually reminds me a little bit of um, of uh, Before Sunrise. Have you seen that? I have not seen that. Oh, Mike. Okay. Anyway, we'll move on then. When was reminds that? that when bit. was that released? Oh, uh, Before Sunrise, nineteen ninety five. Too late. Uh, too late. That's it's too late for the eighties. It doesn't count. But that's Ethan Hawke, Julie Delpy. It's good. Um, but I know something's going to happen. And and I assume at this point that her father will get upset. There has to be a complication, right? Otherwise, what's the drama here? It's just a nice, pleasant, like a warm blanket. (laughs) Um, And then I don't actually have a lot of notes between here and way later in the movie, which shows how much I was enjoying this. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes when I have no notes, it's because nothing's happening. But I was just like et up in the movie so basically some of this because i this is a really long time i've just looked the the next note i have is sad breakup so it's when they break up and she gives him the pen oh so i've got i've gone a long time here so there's stuff some stuff that happens that i can remember they have a family meal which is when it all starts to unravel a little bit yep because um mr court asks lloyd what he wants to do for a living and he says he wants to be a kickboxer and that's the kind of 
Kickboxing, sport of the future. Yeah, so at that point, he's like, no, this isn't good. And then the IRS show up, and they're investigating Mr. Court. They, yes. this is. I think this is one of the things that I love about this movie, is it is such a strange and surprising turn for a movie like this. The, the complication in the romantic comedy is that one of the partners in the romance, her father is being investigated by the FBI, or by the IRS. How strange is that? Suddenly, Very. like criminal investigation to ratchet up the familial tension. It's just, it's just odd. It comes kind of out of left field, and you're like, oh, it, you know, interesting, and puts him in a whole different light, um, and not in a way like he isn't truly devoted to his daughter, and not in a way it doesn't undermine. Like I feel like a modern movie might undermine this in a totally different way, where there's a, you know, he doesn't really love her or whatever, and it's like that's not true. It's just that other parts of his life are kind of. Um, shady and questionable and uh and it introduces doubt in their relationship which is kind of interesting but it's totally out of left field it's like what the fb the irs is knocking on the door yeah and then you know things continue to go along they're having great dates they're really getting to know each other very well they're becoming very close she kind of like diane kind of goes back and forth a little bit and trying not not wanting to get too heavy because she has quite a she she feels the fact that she's she, her her and her dad are very close, like friends. They are friends. Mm-hmm. They are. Well, they, they they're all each other has. That's yeah. that's been up to now. The mother divorced the father and moved away and made Diane choose, and Diane chose her dad. And since then, they are. And and we know how removed she's been from high school society. So essentially, they are each other's world. And that that you know, and and that is the way that Lloyd is threatening that by coming in here, but. You know, that's it's huge. They are they are their best best pals. Yep. Um, and then that you know, things kind of move along and she's, you know, teaches her to drive a cold. stick shift. Yep. Which is one when things kind of turn for the better because she's she's like, well, Can we just be friends? Like she's worried that she's leaving and she's not gonna see her dad, and that concerns her as well. Um, I like that her dad has a job. I mean, it turns out that that's ultimately important to the plot. But we see we see him and her and even Lloyd at the at the nursing home a lot. Yep. Which you know, in so many of these films, if the pres- if the parents are present, it's also unclear if the parents even have jobs because they're always like they're around for things. Yeah, and here he it seems the nursing home, right? That's- it seems realistic, right? That they would be they would spend time around the nursing home. He shows her how to drive in the big circle in front of the nursing home because it's part of her life. That's you know that's all part of part of uh, their lives so then uh, they go out one evening they sleep together um, where they she points out a song to him because he's kind of like it's a nice it's a nice moment where like Lloyd is like shivering and she's like what's the matter you cold he's like I'm just happy and then she points out uh, in your eyes it's on the radio Mm. she's like just listen to the song I like this song Uh, and then one of the reasons is this movie, it, well, the reason this movie is called Say Anything is because that is a agreement between Diane and her father that they can say anything to each other. And so she tells him that they slept together and he takes it pretty well. Like, yeah. it doesn't go crazy. Like you see in many of these movies. Like you think maybe that's going to be the turning point, but it isn't. He's not happy that she's out all night. <laughs> yeah, as, that as no like. parent would be, right? Because they seem to have this agreement of I don't mind as long as you call and she didn't call. Right. Um, so that, you know, this is funny. I, without giving it too much detail, my, uh, I will say, um, I have a, 
a family member who had this agreement with their parent, um, uh, an extended family member, and uh, it went about as well as it does in this movie. It, well, I think it didn't go quite as well as in this movie, but it's the same thing. It's like, you can say anything to me, we'll talk about it. And then, you know, the first time that this person said, oh, well, you know, I had I had, uh, I had, had sex at 15 or whatever. Um, <laughs> it was sort of like, okay, the parent can't do that anymore. Anything <laughs> like, but like, that. That is, yeah, it's just like, it's great that you're a cool parent who can be the confidant, but at some point, you know, you may need to be a parent. And so it's hard. Don't promise not to be a parent because you may need to be a parent at some point. You may not be able to help yourself. But uh, yeah, it's it's a fascinating relationship that they have, those two characters. But Mr. Colt starts to get jealous at this point because Mm. he's not seeing any of Diane and she's leaving and he doesn't like that. So he starts to he starts to drive a wedge in, but he admits to knowing why he's doing like he, he has this like conflict of he wants her to be happy and he says he realizes he's being jealous but he still wants to see her and he's concerned about the irs thing all that sort of stuff um so it leads to there being a breakup and for some reason like he said like diane diane uh, like her dad gives her a pen so like, give him give lloyd this pen i don't even understand what what that was meant to signify but um I think it's just it's the cluelessness of of the dad that yeah. he's just you know he he doesn't understand how this stuff works and he's living in a totally different world and he you know yeah it's bizarre it's really bizarre so then there is a very very sad breakup lots of tears and lots of driving walking in the rain uh you Seattle know, you know yeah. and very then, moody uh, Lloyd says I gave her my heart and she gave me a pen Yep. Which is probably the line you were referring to. Yes, indeed. I gave her my heart. She gave me a pen. And there's, you know, I I really like that this movie revels in the teen anguish and like really like amps up the melodrama because that is how these things are when you're that age. Yes. Yeah. It feels like the end of the world. And and it's it's displayed as that in the, and it's very, I think it's very nicely done because it's a lot of like crying in the rain is a very cliche thing, but it works if you do it and you're aware of why you're doing it. I, I felt that I liked, I quite liked that. It worked well for me. Then Lloyd is like driving around talking into a cassette tape, like a cassette <laughs> yep. recorder. To and it seems like he is recording these for Corey. Like you never really understand that, but my my understanding is. Like they're best friends. One of the things that they do is record tapes to each other instead right. of writing to each right. other. Um, and he says about how he thinks maybe he should hang out with some guys, and he tries to do that, like hang out with these group of guys, and they're all just ridiculous. And yeah, including saying, Joe, who who Corey has broken up with a million times, and was the guy who was cheat, singing the song at the and start. cheats on her, and exactly, Joe lies, Joe lies. Yep. And uh, basically, like you know, they're all saying, "Oh, we can get you girls," that kind of thing. And he says, "If you guys uh, know so much about women, why are you here at the gas and sip with no women anywhere?" Uh huh. Yeah, this feels like uh, this is practically what all of high fidelity is. <laughs> is this? This is like a scene that is replayed as the entire film High Fidelity, uh, fifteen years later, ten, eleven years later, something like that. And he realizes that it was a mistake for him to even try and do that. Yeah, yeah um, this has been a terrible mistake. Oh, Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Piven in that scene too. Young Jeremy Piven is his uh, 
pal at the party and then he comes back here and and they've worked together in a million things too. They're both from Chicago. So a little trivia. It's the guy from Entourage, right? Yep. Okay. Um so then it's kind of like a lot of uh scenes of Lloyd trying to forget um, and he says to, at one point, um, I draw the line at 700 unreturned phone calls when like, <laughs> Corey's telling him to give it another go. Uh, and then I like this line that she says to him. You know, he's like, you know, maybe I just need to be a guy about this, you know, and just like forget about it and find someone else. And she's like, you're not a guy, be a man. Mm. Um, then you kind of start to see things, at, like you start to realize at this point that things are falling apart for Mr. Court. Yeah, he tries to buy something with a credit card and it's yep. rejected and they have to like take it away. Yep. He hides in the bathtub. Yep. And at that point you realize something is going on here. But you, at this point it's the IRS stuff is very much in the background from when it happens to like he just briefly mentions it, that's all. Um but it is apparent that he either has no money, which is what I thought that he'd gone bankrupt or that he, you know, they're shutting him down, which is actually what's happening. Then we had the boombox scene. So uh, in an attempt to try and woo, it's his gesture, uh, Lloyd's gesture. He is standing outside of his car with a boombox above his head playing In Your Eyes, mm. uh, the song from earlier in the movie, but nothing happens. Um, Diane does not react to it. Then next scene, Diane is going to visit an IRS officer who explains to Diane after some prodding that it turns out that Mr. Court has been stealing money from dead people. Yep. He's been taking inheritances and claiming people are still alive and that kind of thing. Then she starts to doubt her dad, searches the house, and finds a chest of cash. I like... Um, so Philip Baker Hall is the uh, is the IRS guy here. Uh, I think this is an, a cool performance because he's like... He understands the implications of this, right? That this this is a... This is this young person who's very, by all accounts, very talented, and she loves her father, and and they, they've all that they've got, and he's trying to break it to her. You know, he's doing his job, but he's kind of breaking it to her gently. Like he he he. I, I think it's an interesting scene where he's trying to explain to her, no, no, really, this has happened, and I know you think the world of your father, but really, and she she doesn't want to believe it, but he's trying to like, I don't know, he's trying to give it to her straight. It's an interesting an interesting scene where he's trying to to. Explain what do you think is going to happen? She's going to be mad at him and all that, but he's trying to explain it to her. It's it's very interesting, and then she has to go and see it for herself. I also think this twist is interesting in that, you know, you could argue that what he did was honorable in the sense that he's like, they, you know, they didn't have anybody, and you know, what was I going to do with the money? But it's you know, it's totally justifiable by him, but totally not acceptable in any way. And I think that's interesting too, that I think that's how a lot of these crimes get committed is somebody convinces themselves that the, what they're doing is actually not bad and then they get caught. Yep. And so she finds the money. He's got that, uh, he's got that expensive jukebox that, that they've had in the house all this time. Yep. And suspicion she... and the ring and oh, the suspicion. Yep. And then she finds, yeah, the box of cash and she goes to confront him. She makes him swear to God and he does, but then she's like, I found the money. You lied to me. Yeah, uh, and, th- and then she runs away. She runs to Lloyd, who's doing some kickboxing training, some sparring. She walks in, and then he gets kicked in the face, uh, <laughs> and his nose is all bloody, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, and basically, it starts. It basically it transpires that she she says that she needs him, and they're together. And then, uh, Mister Colt gets put in prison. Um, mm-hmm. 
for nine months and find $125,000. And it goes to the scene, kind of, this is the final scene in the movie where it shows Lloyd's car outside the prison and Diane's in the car and Lloyd is in the is in the prison talking to Mr. Court and explains, you know, saying that she doesn't want to see you, that kind of thing. And then, then Mr. Court goes crazy, calls, you know, says, like, why is she championing mediocrity? Because he says he's going to England with her. And Mr. Court doesn't like this, thinks he's going to be a distraction. But Lloyd, to his credit, tries to remain to be nice to her, like gives a letter and says there's a version of the letter that I've seen, which is not the one that he's got, which where uh, Diane says something along the lines of, I can't help but love you or something like that. Um, and so he's trying to be nice still to Mr. Court, even though Mr. Court is being very mean to, to Lloyd. Um, and then Diane arrives just as visiting time is ending and kind of hugs her father and that kind of thing and then gives him a pen. Yeah. And says, like, you know, to write. Yeah, the, uh, the guards are going to totally take that pen away. <laughs> yep. Oh, of course, because it stabs someone with it. But, you know, yeah. symbolism. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she even got it in. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's low security. It's, 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 it's the IRS prison. It's low, low, low security. They're on Clear. a plane together. Um, and Diane, it's revealed earlier in the movie, is scared of flying. And they have this really nice scene where Lloyd's trying to calm her down and saying, as soon as the smoking light comes on, hilarious. Uh, yeah will be you know everything's fine because 90 percent of all problems happen within the first five minutes and it's going along going along going along they're looking up looking up it goes bing and the credits roll yep jason snell i love this movie so much i love this movie so so much it's easily my favorite of all of the movies that we have seen wow wow this movie is so much about what i love in the in movies like it is a a ride that does not send you through many hoops. Uh, the the love interests, they don't do anything bad to each other. That is a real thing that I don't like in, in romantic comedies or mm-hmm. movies with love interests, that there is the point where one of them does something and upsets the other. That doesn't happen in this movie. They are true to each other. Um, and and I that's one of the things that I really love about it because their love is, you know, it's meaningful. Um, well, even even when she breaks up with him, she's not she's not breaking up with him because she doesn't care about him. She's got all these sort of external forces, and she feels like this is what she needs to do, and she clearly regrets it <laughs> immediately. Yep. Yeah, because she's listening to his messages, and she so wants to pick up the phone and answer, but she she feels like she can't. I don't have a bad thing to say about this movie. Wow, it's a I, good it's a good movie. You should. Uh, you should check out. Well, you should check out Single sometime. It's from the '90s, so it can't be for Mike watches the movies. But um, I like that movie. That's a that's a, 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 a like I said. It's also sort of the story of. It is you know shot in Seattle in the early '90s. It is as it's practically a documentary about grunge happening in the background, <laughs> while while the movie is happening in the foreground. But Cameron Crowe, very music oriented. Um, this is yeah. I love. I, I do. I love this movie. This is a a great example of a of a um, you know eighties romantic comedy. The characters are are so memorable. They're not like off of the assembly line at all. They're they've got their own quirks, but they don't come across as being kind of like showy quirky. They're quirky. They are, but um, they feel lived in and uh, and like I said, I love the idea of being between high school and college and just sort of like 
dangling and not knowing where you're going in your life. And that's a very interesting point when, you know, she's going off to this fellowship. He doesn't know what he's going to do, if he's going to join the army or whatever. And they've got this summer um, together where all of these things happen. And, uh, you know, I don't think you see a lot of films set in that period either. And it's a it's a really ripe period for that. So there's a movie that this like reminds me of that I really love called Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Ah, I've heard about that. I haven't seen it. It's one of my favorite movies. Hmm. Um, it is very music focused. It has um, John, uh, uh, Sarah, Michael Sarah. That's it. Michael, Michael Sarah, right? And um, Kat Dennings. Yeah, yeah. It's a great movie. It's set over one night. It's very, very focused on music, and it is just this love story that blossoms over one evening. It's really fantastic. But yeah, I loved this movie. I've <laughs> well, just that's, really loved this movie. If if that is one of your favorite movies, you really do need to watch Before Sunrise. Okay. Because <laughs> that is that is also what happens is Ethan Hawke, and, who's American, and Julie Delpy, who's French, meet in Vienna. And they've got an overnight before they're, they have to get their trains in the morning. And they spend the night walking around the city and basically fall in love in that night and he's got to go off and back to his life and his girlfriend or whatever and it's but it's and it's just what happens in that night and it's a that's a classic too yeah that sounds like my kind of movie that's that's your that's up your alley but i'm glad you like this this is um yeah this is uh i i really like john cusack um he's been in any number of movies that i that i love um and like i said i think cameron crowe is really interesting and has made a bunch of really interesting movies um, and I'm surprised Ioni Sky didn't become a bigger star. Um, every time I watch this, I think she should have been a huge star, and uh, she wasn't. You know, she wasn't. So, so. beautiful, Jason. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. I had that. I had that moment in. Oh, what was it? Um, I can't remember now. I saw. I saw some other movie from the '80s not too long ago, and I and I thought. I think it was one um, of ours because I remember you having this yeah, similar reaction about somebody else. Yeah, and just feeling like this feels this feels inappropriate, and yet you know. But this and it's the other thing that's interesting about Diane is Diane is not um, at any point played as you know super sexy. That's not the point, and yep. I kind of I kind of really like that that they don't put her in they put, don't put her in in you know scant, scantily she's not scantily clad at any point she's um but she's beautiful and she's dressed like a normal person and she wears her party dress at that one point and she's you know absolutely glowing at that point but yeah it's uh you can see why you know this is why we go to the movies we see two interesting attractive people and they're in love and what's going to happen and i mean that's all in say anything plus yes we get the the uh the pen scene, and we get that uh, the boombox scene, which is, has gone down in history as a classic scene. And it's funny the way you people remember it is not necessarily how it actually works in the in the movie because he's he does that and she she sort of wakes up but doesn't react. Um, he calls her from the payphone in the rain, you know. But it's it's not it doesn't go the way I think people think that it goes. So that's it. Thank you for another great movie. That is it for this week's episode. Yeah. If you want to find our show notes, they're over at relay.fm slash upgrade slash 42. 42. And we have uh, just a moment to thank our friends again over at Smile, Casper, MailRoute, and Squarespace for helping us out with this week's episode. If you want to catch us online, you can find Jason's work over at sixcolors.com, and he is at jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L, and I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. Um, and we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Mr. Snow. Goodbye, Mike.